Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two true freaks. .libson.com And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. My name is Scott Gardner and this is the Megacon 2013 wrap-up show. And joining me for this show is my very good friend, Michael Bailey. Scott, I have been waiting outside the convention center <laughs> for three days now. You said we were going to go together. <laughs> I think you done missed it. <laughs> I quit my job for this. Now, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. And right off the bat, I want to say that we have had a huge, huge uptick in our numbers recently. Like a couple of like just wild spikes where uh, all of a sudden we got massive downloads and all. And I'm thinking that this is because of Megacon and, and my going to the show and everything. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I, I kind of pimped our, our show out, you know, as far as I, I left, you know, hundreds of flyers and, and hung up some posters, you know, with a little tear-off tabs and gave out some T-shirts and just really tried to do some serious pimping and promoting of the show. So I'm hoping that that uh, contributed a lot to those upticks so if you're uh, listening to this show because uh you know you were there and you heard about the show or whatever then uh then thanks for tuning in just to give you a little background on the show two true freaks is uh put out several times a week we have a lot of different uh content on the show uh, we cover you know on a regular basis we cover uh, star trek star wars and we do uh, a good number of shows about comic books and uh for me megacon is a comics show first and foremost but uh to back up a moment here, the reason I asked Mike to join me for this one is, uh, in addition to just being a hell of a nice guy, having several comic book shows of his own, Mike is uh, our resident uh, comic book guru and uh, Mr. Memory when it comes to the world of comics. So I really wanted someone to be able to bounce off of as far as comic book knowledge and, and appreciation of the things that I got to see and do and get signed and that sort of thing as far as the world of comics at Megacon, so I thought... Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the check is in the mail. <laughs> so, 
First and foremost, what is Megacon? Well, Megacon is, and this is the official explanation, Megacon is the Southeast premier comic book, anime, sci-fi, fantasy, and multimedia event. And it just seems to get bigger and bigger all the time, and it was massive. And what was really cool was... I had just been there, you know, at, where it's held is at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. And I had just been there, oh, let's see, that's got to be about six months or so ago. It was back in, uh, in August of last year when uh, they had Star Wars Celebration 6. And now I had been to the prior two Megacons. I went to Megacon 2011 and 2012. And 2011 was my first one so it's hard looking back now maybe it was just because it was my first megacon and everything and the first like really really huge uh con of that kind that i'd ever been to maybe it seemed bigger than it was i'm not sure but it seemed really really massive to me 2012 seemed like maybe it was a little bit smaller it wasn't quite as congested or what this year, it was massive. It was very much like Celebration, Star Wars Celebration. It reminded me a lot of it. It was busy. It was crowded. There were a lot, a lot of people there. But that was awesome, too. I mean, it was it was a really good show. It was a really good time. And what's cool about it for me was uh, I go there as a comic book fan. Yeah, I mean, probably the big draw, you know, as far as celebrity-wise, was probably the fact that virtually the entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation was there. You know, you had, uh, God, you know, you had everybody. You had uh, Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, LeVar Burton, John Delancey was Q was there, Michael Dorn, you know, just about the entire cast uh, of Next Gen was there. So, you know, there's definitely was something there for you if you were a Star Trek fan. There was also tons of celebrities from Star Wars. I'm going to get back to that in a little bit. Anime out the yin-yang, which anime is, a, you know, for me is a, is a real blind spot. I'm really not an anime guy. Is that that funny stuff from Japan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, Lou Ferrigno was there, that sort of thing. But for me... It's first and is foremost a comic book show, and that's what I really like about it. It's a, it's a chance to to meet and get to shake hands with and, and speak with and, and get things signed by you know some really top talent in comic books. And in the past, really getting some quality FaceTime with these guys that you know, depending on the different venues you might see them at, you might not get that kind of FaceTime with them. Let me ask you a quick question before we get into that. You know, I remember uh, hearing the ads, you know, that you had on all the other shows for Megacon, and you just said it again that it's, you know, the Southeast premier multi-fandom, you know, convention. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's because I, I live in the area and I'm from, you know, I live just outside of Atlanta, but does, I would always think that Dragon Con would, would have that distinction. How does it, how do the two shows compare to each other? Keeping in mind that I only ever went to Dragon Con that one year, I think the difference here is that this one feels more like, gosh, I, I want to be really careful how I say this because I don't want to offend anybody or what, but this one feels a little more official to me. And I, and I mean that in a number of different ways. I, I mean that in both good and bad ways. Official in the sense that 
it feels more uh, it feels more organized for one thing. It feels a little more like they've got their act together. They know the kind of show that they want to put on that sort of thing. It's a little more organized. It's a little more um, controlled, I guess. Whereas Dragon Con, I, I, my personal feeling walking away from Dragon Con was that Dragon Con's a little more Mardi Gras. You know, it's a little more... That's a, that's a very fair statement. You know, and th- again, that's from someone who's never actually attended a Mardi Gras, but, you know, by reputation only, if you know what I mean. I enjoy both shows very much. I love Dragon Con. I think Dragon Con was a heck of a lot of fun, but I wouldn't take my children to, to Dragon Con. <laughs> you know, I, I just, you know, no, no, I no. honestly just wouldn't because... You know, you you're going to see and experience things there that I just don't think are conducive to to a family atmosphere. Plus, I saw Dragon Con as very much more of an adult show. You know, it was it was a place where you would go, you could hobnob with you know celebrities and that sort of thing. But then after a certain time of day, it's going to turn into you know drinking and partying and girls with their tops off and stuff like that. Whereas MegaCon, the worst that might happen is maybe a little language, maybe people get a little rowdy or what, but that's about it. I mean, I didn't have to worry about shielding my kids' eyes or, you know, people, you know, being drunk and disorderly in the streets or anything like that. It, it's it's much more of a family-friendly atmosphere. I feel perfectly comfortable bringing my kids, and, and this year I did. I actually brought both my sons, and they had a blast. They had an absolute blast. All right, so it is March, uh, what is today, the 16th, Saturday, March 16th, 2013, and we are in the car on our way to Megacon 2013. I am Scott Gardner, and I am joined by both of my sons this year for Megacon. It's going to be Scotty's first Megacon. Oh, baby's first Megacon. (laughs) (laughs) I am joined by uh, my sons, Scotty and Logan. Say hello. Hello. Hi, <laughs> Logan's got a mouthful of Egg McMuffin. So we, uh, like I say, we're in the car. We're on our way. It is crazy early in the morning because I'm trying to get there, beat the rush. We need to still pick up uh, our passes and such. So what's everybody excited for? Going to <laughs> Checking out everything, seeing what they got there, you know, seeing if they have any video games, action figures, stuff like that set up. I was on uh, Facebook very, very briefly this morning before uh, we piled in the car to head out, and uh, somebody had posted a couple of pictures, and uh, one of them was uh, some Blackhawks, and uh, that was really cool. They looked really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing the costumes again this year. Of course, really looking forward to the creators more than anything. That's what I always get the biggest kick out of. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I always look forward the most to the creators, but then I'm always blown away by the awesome costumes. So I'm hoping to see some really good costumes this year. So it should be a good show, but, uh, man, my backpack is loaded. I got a ton of comics that I'm taking, hoping to get signed. But uh, there's, there's some really big names there this year. Uh, a couple of the ones I'm probably most excited about is uh, Chris Claremont and... Uh, Pat Roderick's going to be there, which I'm really excited about. Pat Roderick, I'm a big fan of his, so should be a lot of fun. What are you looking forward to, Logan? Are you still got a mouthful of food? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> now tell him what you're dressed as. Doctor Who. 
Logan is dressed as Doctor Who, and he looks really good, too, so we're hoping to get uh, get his picture with a... I'm hoping they'll have a full-size TARDIS there this year like they've had in prior years. That'd be cool get his picture with the TARDIS. Yeah, that'd be cool, too. Yeah, I'm sure they will. All right, so i got to pay attention to my driving, so uh, we will talk to you in a little bit when we actually get to the con. You basically answered my question perfectly because it seems like Megacon is actually... No, this is this is more like San Diego, but not as crazy. Right, very much so. Well, it's funny in a lot of ways. Now, again, you know, as someone who's never actually been to San Diego Comic Con, just you know, knowing what I know about it and having seen different things on television and G four and stuff like that, I look at at something like Comic Con and then something at MegaCon and go, hmm, I think these two events need to switch names because again. I go to Megacon for the comics, but that's the great thing about this con was that it really is a great con for just about anything that you're into. If you're into something geeky, there's going to be something for you at this con. And that's the cool thing about it, because it does. It has comics. It's got Star Wars, Star Trek, sci-fi, lots of Doctor Who stuff, anime toys, video games, Legos. I mean, just there's so much stuff to see and do that, you know, even somebody like me who's been a lifelong geek with multiple interests, there's still vast areas where I just look at it and go, wow, I have no idea what that what that area <laughs> even is, you know, but it's cool. You know, it's neat. You know, all kinds of costumes and it, it's it's just a lot of fun. It's just a big celebration of people's geekdom and you know and their passion for whatever it is you know that they're geeking out about that's the fun of it again you know in, in a very family friendly atmosphere that that's the really the cool thing about it it's really nice there were unfortunately some cancellations this year before i get into the awesome people that were there there were a few people that were originally listed that didn't make it real quick list we had ed mcginnis who i was kind of looking forward to, to meeting him i would have liked to have met him Michael Lark, which drew, he was on Gotham Central. He was okay, on yeah. Captain America. He's done, he was on Daredevil. He's done a lot of work with Ed Brubaker. Right, yeah. Probably the biggest one, Mr. Stan Lee, unfortunately had to cancel out. Mark Wade, who I was really looking forward to talking to this year because uh, I, I got to speak with him last year. He was very, very gracious, really nice guy to talk to. And we were talking about Captain America, and he turned me on to uh, the miniseries Captain America Man Out of Time, which I was completely unaware of. And uh, and since last year, I actually tracked it down and read it, so I was really looking forward to talking to him about that and hopefully get him to sign my uh, my copy of Issue 1. And unfortunately, he, he canceled pretty much last minute, which which really sucked. And then finally, uh, Brandon Peterson, who, if I'm remembering properly, I think the book I was going to bring for him was uh, he, he did some work on, um, I think it was Fright Night number one was the, the book I was, I was bringing for him. But those were the big cancellations, really. I'll tell you what, I learned a valuable lesson this year that I wished I had learned in, in prior years, which was early is definitely the way to go with this. Because I got up crazy early in the morning to be there. I really studied up on, you know, when was the con going to open and trying to remember lessons from, from prior years and, and things like that. So I got, I thought, well, 
you know, in prior years, I'd always try to get there kind of when the when the show was opening up, and then I'd get stuck in some crazy long line and not actually hit the con floor until like noonish or something. So this year, I was like, all right, maybe I'm being ridiculous, but I'm gonna go really, really early. And so we got there. So it was around eight thirty, nine o'clock, and the show didn't actually open up until ten. Well, by getting there that early. There were no lines at all for picking up your badges or anything like that. So we got, you know, we got our badges and got right in there. And then the con itself didn't actually open. You know, the con floor didn't open until 10 o'clock. However, they were letting visitors, or not visitors, but exhibitors, special guests, and press in early right up until actual con time. So as press, I actually got to go into the con floor right when we got there. So the boys stayed outside uh, and just, you know, took pictures and kind of mingled amongst the crowd and things like that. And I got to go in and wander the con floor. So I'm in there wandering around and, and seeing who's there and everything. And mostly it was exhibitors. They were all, you know, just kind of getting their booths ready and getting set up. And, you know, all the comic folks, you know, as far as the... Uh, you know, the comic dealers and stuff, they were all getting set up, that sort of thing. So I was walking kind of the perimeter of, of the con floor looking to see, you know, who was going to be out and, and things like that. And I'm at the back end of the building and kind of coming around. And this side door opens up and this fella comes and he's walking. So we're basically walking side by side, making our way back to more of the media area. You know, I just kind of nodded at him. He nodded at me. It was like, good morning. And as soon as he spoke, I realized, oh, my God, it's Jeremy Bullock. You know, <laughs> Boba Fett. So, you know, we're walking side by side, and we'd already kind of acknowledged each other and said good morning and everything. So the next thing you know, we struck up this little conversation. And it was so cool because it was completely natural and everything. Well, I'd already had my recorder on because I was wandering the floor and I was making little notes to myself and just kind of commenting on the whole, you know, the whole thing and what I was seeing and what I was planning for the day, that sort of thing, doing a little monologue when he walked up. So we struck up this conversation and I just was like, you know, do you mind if I, if I record, you know, and, and we just chit chat for a minute. Oh no, no, it's fine. He's very, very nice guy. So we talked for, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes or so and just kind of a rambly conversation about, you know, the weather and Orlando versus London. And we ended up talking quite a little bit about star tours and all these different things. So he looked like he needed to get back to his booth and, and he was starting to set up and everything. So, you know, I shook his hand, told him what a pleasure it was. And, and I'm walking away just on such a geek high over the whole thing. You know, here I'd actually met one of my childhood heroes, Boba Fett, you know? And so I thought, I want to listen back to that as I'm wandering around the floor. So I put my headphones on, I plug it in, and uh, I bump the uh, the recorder back, hit play on the on the track, and all I hear is this. Have a great con. Yeah, it was such a pleasure to meet you, honestly. Good to see you. Thank you. And that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I panicked. I'm like, oh my! I was like, oh my god! I lost that whole thing. Apparently, what had happened is I think I had it on standby and yeah. thought I was recording. So when I hit hit the button again, thinking I'm hitting stop, I'm actually hitting start. That's what I think happened anyway. 
So I panicked. I'm like, oh, my God. So I've got two choices. I can either suck it up and be like, that totally sucks. But it was awesome that I got to talk to him. Or I can go back and I can pester him again. I could be like, um, I didn't actually get any of that. So I kind of wandered back over in the area. And the the media area for like the Star Wars and Star Trek guys was massive. It's this huge, huge area. And he was the only person there. And he's just kind of, you know, kind of milling around his table and everything. And I guess he was waiting for the other people to come in, like his handler and just the other uh, media folks. And he was literally the only person there. So I went back up to him and was chit-chatting with him again. And I just mentioned to him, I said, I didn't get any of that. And, uh, And he was just so incredibly British, you know. He was, he just goes... Would you like a take two? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that would be awesome. So we basically did the whole thing again, not quite as long and a, and a little, probably a little more stilted because I, I felt like such a fool, you know. There we are. Okay, it is going. Okay, so we are here at Megacon 2013, and uh, I am going to speak with uh, Mr. Boba Fett himself, Mr. Jeremy Bullock. It is a pleasure to meet you, sir. Well, it's lovely to be here. We've got a little bit of tannoy noise in the background, but that means that it's a lively show and it's all happening. So, no, it's lovely to be here. I was here <clears throat> two years ago. Uh, nice to be back. Now, we were speaking before um, <laughs> my recorder... Uh, I'm not sure what exactly happened with this thing. Well, the force, me, the but... force was using its great force to, to block everything out. So. <laughs> it seems like it. So we were talking about the weather and how it's so much nicer here than... Uh, yeah, than we, I mean, I think everybody it. talks about the weather. The British <laughs> are well known for saying, a little bit cold out today, isn't it? Ooh, maybe a spot of rain. That's the n- normal <laughs> chat. But we've been here, my wife and I, for a, a week. So we've had about three or four days just climatizing to the wonderful sunshine we had a bit of a dodgy start when we arrived but we came from snow into this warmth here so well it's lovely now we spoke about uh star tours and and it was a it was a thrill and a, and a geek out for me to find out that you're just as excited to get the boba fett sequence of uh, star tours as i <laughs> i had to do that i mean you've got to someone said well where do you go i said well no you go on the star tours and you sit down and if you're lucky there are many bits and pieces which are different right. suddenly you, I said yes I finally after 10 goes I saw Boba Fett <laughs> sitting down in Star, Star Tours it's great now they say it's completely random but I wonder sometimes if, if there's not sequences think, that are more well, rare than others so that yeah, we have that reaction yeah. I, I think you have that reaction but I think they purposely put me up there on one when they knew I was sitting down there I think they can manipulate it you think so? Bit. I think so yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong but Excellent. So, uh, do you get a chance to actually get out on the con floor and wander amongst people here? Uh, or? Well, yesterday, Friday, was very busy uh, here. Uh, yes, you do get around. You go and see some of the artists, you know. You go and see the wonderful 501st guys who are building amazing... Isn't that awesome? Stories. It's just incredible. So, you, you do get a chance to flip around, but then... Saturday, here we are. We've got a long way off before people come in, and then that's that's the time where you probably won't have the time at all. Right. Now, are you able to kind of move amongst the, the folks here, or is yes, it a you constant can. being yeah, stopped no, and going, can. oh my God, Boba Fett? I mean, we did Paul Blake, myself, Dave Prowse. Uh, we did our talk yesterday with a, a really good crowd. 
and we had a chat and you know they asked questions so we did that yesterday so we're much freer today although you're hoping it's going to be a lot of people here so right. we might not have time to walk around but if I, if I do I'll, <clears throat> I'll get get moving Historically speaking, Saturday's the day, so oh, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I they, anticipate yes. quite the crowd. Saturday's the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't keep you, but I, I just want to say again, it's such well, a pleasure let, to meet you. Let's hope it works. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm going to check it and make sure, but thank you so much. But he was so, so gracious about it. Such a nice guy. And again, what a thrill. You know, just really, really awesome to get to talk to him. And uh, and I briefly I didn't record any with him, but uh, I, I briefly got to uh, to speak with Dave Prouse, which was that was really really cool, and uh, it was neat. They were all lined up. It was um, it was Lou Frigno was on the end, and then you had Dave Prouse next to him, and he's huge. That guy's massive. And then next to him, I forget the fellow's name. The guy that played Greedo was there, and then Jeremy Bullock, and then there was someone else on the other side of him. I can't remember who it was now. And they were all lined up. And then everybody else going like lengthwise across like the, the width of the uh, of the convention hall was pretty much all the Star Trek people who must have come in much later after that because I never actually saw any of those guys all day long. By the time I came back around there again, there were thousands of people in line to meet everybody that was over there. So you couldn't even see who the people were in line for. It was really, really crazy. There was a really neat thing I saw on Facebook that somebody shared from Will Wheaton uh, about Megacon, where he was talking about, basically, you know, people ask him, does your arm get tired by the end of the day for all the signing? And he went on to explain that it's more than that. You know, it's a very emotional thing because he likes to engage whoever comes up to him. He He's not just sign it, move on. Right. And he told... And he told this story, uh, and, and I believe it was from this Megacon, that a, a girl came up to him and handed him a note. And he starts reading the note, and basically when she was a, a little girl, she had been diagnosed with lupus and, and had to relearn to walk because of the pain that the condition caused her. And what her mom would do, because she was such a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, I believe it was her mom, would hold up a picture of Will Wheaton. And her plan was one day she would get to walk up to him and shake his hand. And so he came around the table after reading the note. He's crying and she's crying. And he holds his arms out and she walks over and hugs him. And <laughs> I got choked up reading this story. Wow. Because that's just one of those amazing things. That is the thing about these conventions is that sometimes, you know, I've never had that kind of an emotional connection with a creator or a celebrity, my run-ins are always more humorous than anything else at Dragon Con. Like, walking to my hotel room in 2007 and going to my room and the door opens up next door and out walks Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner. <laughs> and, I, and I just stop. I just freeze. Right? And they look at me and I look at them and Jonathan Frakes goes, You having a good time? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, yes, good, sir. <laughs> and I was just like, I could have said anything there, but I freaking froze. <laughs> and I felt so bad. But, you know, meeting these people, though, is I've never had a bad experience. I, I know that you've you've had some very public ones. Um, <laughs> well, you know, what's funny 
is as we're going to get into this, I had both one of those moments you're talking about where there was a there was somebody that I want I literally wanted to hug them. Yeah. And that that could have been very awkward. We'll get into that in a moment. But I did once again, unfortunately, I did have one kind of sour experience at this, but it's kind of humorous too, so uh <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that one. But it was not near as bad as uh as who you're thinking of, Bruce Boxleitner at, yeah. at Dragon Con. No, it wasn't it wasn't anything near that bad, but it was it was a little it was a little weird. But um we will get a kick out of this. So Again, you know, pr- primarily there uh, for comics, so that you know the con opens up and they and they drop the rope and and literally thousands of people come flooding into the floor, which was weird for me. You know, for the first time, I'm like in the convention hall that's virtually empty, and all of a sudden, like the gate drops, so I'm actually in there instead of being on the other side of the rope with everybody else. I'm actually in the convention hall when everybody starts flooding in. And that was weird, you know, because it was like, you know, it's like that scene in Temple of Doom where the water comes rushing at, you know, the heroes. (laughs) It was kind of like that. It was like, oh, my God, this is like a human tidal wave coming at me. Have you have you seen the trailers for World War Z yet? No. Is there a scene like that? Well, there's a bunch of them where all these zombies, like thousands of them are all like rushing at once and climbing up a wall on top of each other. And that's the image I'm getting in my head right <laughs> now. It's kind of seeing like everybody it. come in. It is. It's kind of like that. It's funny. Cause there were a ton of zombies there this year too. There was a, uh, 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 Tom Baker, Dr. Who zombie would, that was, <laughs> that's great. That was very funny, but there were tons and tons of zombies. Um, but a lot of character zombies, which was really funny. So as I, as I'm usually want to do, I like to walk the floor, you know, like one good time first and, and kind of just scope everything out, you know, both looking for, for deals and bargains, but also just kind of learn the lay of the land. Where, where is everybody, you know, where are the different creators, like, you know, where are the superstars, where are the old timers, you know, where are the up and comers, that sort of thing, and just kind of get a feel for where everybody is. And I'm roaming around and, and kind of learning the lay of the land, but then I saw somebody that I just had to stop and, and just had to go over to because I, I really wanted to make a point before his line might get long or he might get tied up or he might go on break or have a lot of commissions or something like that. I wanted to make sure that I saw him before any of that got started. That was uh, Jose Delbo, who is one of those names that, you know, even if you're familiar with comics, might not immediately come to mind. Probably most famous for uh, a lot of his work that he did on uh, Wonder Woman uh, back in the uh, mid and uh, and late 70s. Mm-hmm. But... I wanted to see him not only for some of his Wonder Woman work that I took for him to you know t- to get signed, but um, he is also the artist on NFL Super Pro number one. <laughs> I was, no, I'm just enjoying watching you draw. <laughs> How's MegaCon for you so far? So far, doing great. Pretty good. There you go. Super Pro. Oh, look at that. 
Are you still drawing these days? Not like I used to, because I'm getting old and tired. You know? <laughs> but I still, I still doing pictures and uh, and uh, you know commissions and things like that. I always love your Wonder Woman stuff. <laughs> Did you happen to work on the uh, Yellow Submarine adaptation? Because I love your Yellow Submarine. I did a comic book. Yeah, he's the oh, one. I wish I'd known that. I brought it with me because I have that one. Yeah, I didn't realize that you yeah, had done he that. Was the one that did that one. Oh, that's fantastic. So NFL Super Pro number one has the honor of being the first book that I got signed at MegaCon uh, 2013 this year. Wow! Uh, it, what was really funny was uh, he was very he was very cool about it. He he saw it and he was just like, "Hey, Super Pro!" <laughs> He's funny because he sounds like Mario when he talks. You know his accent and everything. <laughs> hey, it's a Super Pro! Hey, hey you got the foot, the American football. <laughs> Uh, let's see some other books I took for Jose to sign. I had uh, Wonder Woman number two twenty eight, which uh, I do believe you were right when you pointed out that this was the first appearance of the Red Panzer. You, we both call him the Red Pansy, but I think <laughs> you that is can't his... not do that. Oh, I know. Wonder Woman two thirty nine that I took because I love the cover on this. This is uh, the one with Wonder Woman and the Golden Age Flash. And uh, they're being attacked by the Statue of Liberty, which is pretty cool. This was the beginning of that whole storyline where all of a sudden the story switched to be Wonder Woman on Earth 2 adventures. Yeah. Right around the time of, that the TV show did the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the TV show. And I've always wanted to read those stories, but I'm always kind of nervous because Wonder Woman, outside of George Perez and Greg Rucka, has always been kind of a dodgy proposition for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, it seems like every time I want to invest in the time to sit there and read through a run, I get like two issues in, and I'm like, wow, this is. It's not that it's bad; it's just like, wow, I I could really do without this, like a lot actually. So, well, <sighs> something that back when we were doing Tales of the Justice Society, something that I picked up that I had never owned before. And I picked it off up off of eBay. I want to say for like a dollar. And I mean, that was with shipping and everything. I do believe um, it was an issue of DC special series. I want to say this is number nine, but I'm too lazy to open it, but it's the wonder woman spectacular that has the cover on it by Jose uh, Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. <laughs> and uh, Dick Giordano. It's a really great cover. And you know, I didn't really notice until I was getting prepared to go to the show that this has a portion of the cover that really needs to become one of those internet memes. This is a picture of Adolf Hitler in a suit of armor, like a medieval knight. And he's has a lance upraised in one hand and a Nazi flag flying from the lance. And he's riding a very sinister looking unicorn. And I just think that this needs to be one of those, those memes that says something like... Hitler is in a suit of armor riding a unicorn. <laughs> it's just, Your argument no longer applies. Exactly. <laughs> uh, lastly, for no other reason than I think this is one of the... Well, 
I, I know what it was. Is this this was the uh, issue of Wonder Woman where the Huntress backup story started, even though Jose Double really didn't have anything to do with those. But it's Wonder Woman number two seventy one. Uh, it was also a, a retelling of uh, Wonder Woman's origin. I had him sign that one for me, too. He was really, really nice. And uh, that was a thrill getting that stuff signed. One of the next creators, I don't know if he's the very next one, but one of the next creators that I got to talk to briefly, and this was the one that was a little bit weird. It wasn't like an unpleasant experience. It was just a. It kind of gave me a bit of a taste for what the rest of the con was going to be like. Because I really, once I got the first thing signed, I didn't waste a lot of time. I started moving about the floor because I quickly realized that my backpack full of comics was really starting to dig in and and was going to be a pain in the butt. But if I could navigate the floor quickly, I figured I could knock out everything that I wanted to get signed by like lunchtime. Yeah, make a run back to the car, dump off the backpack, and then just enjoy myself the rest of the time, you know? So that became my mission. But, you know, I still wanted to get some some good time with the different creators, try to get some interviews and, and audio and that sort of thing. So the next uh, fellow I went over to was Mark Bagley. And I had met Mark before. And th- there, he, the, here's where the story lies in this one. So I had met him years ago. He made an appearance at uh, the Douglasville Mall in in Georgia, of all places, which, you know, I mean, it's literally like the middle of nowhere. And it's just a mall. There wasn't even a comic shop there or anything. I really don't know what the event was other than he's kind of local to that area. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was around the time that that Ultimate Spider-Man was a big deal. And so he just, for whatever reason, was putting on in this appearance at the mall and signing books. So I went to meet him. And when I went, I was wearing, I forget what the issue number is, but it's a, it, it's a, it was a t-shirt that was the cover image from an issue of Spider-Man where it was all headshots. It was a headshot of Spider-Man and then... In the like over his shoulder, almost like an angel and a devil, were headshots of Venom and Carnage. It's like 376 or something like that. And he saw me wearing that shirt and just started ripping on me mercilessly, like, oh my God, you know, could you have worn an older t shirt and all this stuff? But he was very good natured about it, but I was very, he made me very self conscious that I'd worn this shirt to kind of show my dedication, yet. Yeah, he was right. It was pretty threadbare by that point, you know? Uh So seeing him at this, I reminded him about that, and he remembered it. And so I had gone uh, with the intention of giving him a Two True Freaks t-shirt. So I I gave him the shirt and everything, and he was just kind of like, okay, so what do you want? (laughs) It was kind of his attitude, and I was like, Okay, and it was just kind of awkward, you know, it's kind of kind of weird and I thought my initial thought, I'll be perfectly honest, was kind of like, wow, what a dick, you know? <laughs> but then I struck up a conversation with uh, with another convention goer later on in the day and he was uh you know, we were just kind of comparing notes, you know, so how's your con going, you know, how's everything for you and all that and he was talking and he started raving about what a great guy that Mark Bagley was. And I was like, really? I said, cause I met him earlier, you know, and he was kind of a jerk. And he's like, wow, really? Cause you know, 
he goes, I, I've seen him, you know, like when kids would come up and, you know, he, he'd come out from behind his table and, you know, get right down with him and talk to him and stuff. And he was giving him like little lessons on drawing and stuff like that. And I thought, well, that's really cool. You know, that's, that's very cool. So, you know, it's always one of those things where you never know, you know, the moment you're catching somebody or maybe it's their particular quirky brand of humor or something like that. So it, it's kind of funny cause I got to meet him at dragon con last year. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the first people in his line. There was like two guys in front of me. One of this was uh, a guy who was bigger than me, which is an accomplishment. Congratulations, sir. Heart disease is in your future. <laughs> um, and he had like the, the requisite stack of stuff. And I'm just sitting there patiently oh waiting. And I walk up and I've got like a couple books for him to sign. And I tell him, you know, like very honestly, it's like I think it's a, a damn shame that you didn't get to do more DC work because I really liked your take, especially on Superman and Batman. And he starts going, he starts basically not, you know, behind, you know, inside baseball or anything like that, but basically saying, you know, telling me that he didn't have a good time and that most of that was editorial interference. But he's at Marvel now and he's much happier. And I'm like, well, that's great. So I'm talking to our buddy Shag a little later, like a day or two later, and I'm like, yeah, I met Mark Bagley, and he was telling me that he was having all this hard time at DC. He's like, really? Because I met him today, and he wouldn't talk about any of that. Hmm. So it, I think it really depends on, you know, he might have had a headache at that point when he was talking to you, and it cleared up as the day went on, and he was right. feeling better. But <laughs> that would be kind of awkward where you give somebody a T-shirt, and they're like, okay. Thank you. Next. It was, that was essentially it. And, it, but it wasn't even, I didn't really even get a thank you, which was, a, that was kind of the uncomfortable moment. You know what I mean? He was, he kind of looked at it like, what am I supposed to do with this kind of thing? You know, like maybe he wasn't getting the, getting the gag or, you know, getting the, you know, like maybe he thought there was a, a punchline coming or, I don't know. It was just, it was very awkward, but. Also, what was what was a little bit awkward with him was uh, he, he asked not to be recorded. You know, he he was you know, kind of funny about that. You know, which I, I respected that with all these guys because I you know, I made a point of of letting them know you know that I that I had the recorder with me and all, and were they okay with that? And most everybody was like, hey, no problem. But he was one of the ones that was like, well, you know, I, his thing was I didn't really have time, which kind of became a recurring theme throughout the show. That was. You know, if if I did have one, you know, if there was one kind of downside was that by there being a much bigger crowd this year and it really, really becoming a busy con very quickly is that the creators began to lose that ability to really have a more personal one-on-one with folks in the lines without tying their lines up. Some, you know, some creators were great about it. You know, Chris Claremont, who I'll talk about in a moment, was excellent. He he just didn't seem to care. He was like, you're here. I'm going to speak to you, which was awesome. Some of the other creators were like, let me sign your shit and you move along, you know. So, you know, but even the ones that were like that, they weren't rude about it. They were just, they made a point of letting you know that, you know, yes, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Let me sign your stuff. And, okay, I got to keep the line moving. They were always really nice about it. But I I was really looking for you know one of the reasons i again that i love this show so much is that usually you do get that time with the creators that i didn't feel like i'd gotten at other shows you know um that was lost a little bit in this one because of there being so many more people but again it, it depended on the creator too because i'm going to get into that a little bit later 
that if they were kind of in the superstar area, they didn't have a lot of time. If they were kind of kind of buried or kind of hidden as some of them were, then you could basically have all the time you wanted with them. And, and I'll touch on that a little bit more in a moment. Um, the next guy that uh, I got to spend a little bit of time with was uh, Bob Layton, who's always awesome. He's fantastic because this time, I'll be honest, I almost felt like what Chris Honeywell dubs a humper. One of those guys that just goes and dumps a stack of books on somebody like, here, sign these. Now, I'm never like that. I told him right up front, look, I'm not one of those guys to just dump a stack of books on you. I said, you know, pick a couple and, you know, I- I'm happy with that. You know, if you've got time, he was like, oh, pff, you know, signing's the easy part. I don't mind doing that. So he actually signed everything, which was really, really great. The show's been great. So, yeah, the show's been great so far. You know? Like I told you last year, I'm not one of those guys to dump 50 books on you and expect well, I, you to sign every yeah, one. I don't so care. Just, Signing's the easy part, you know? <laughs> you got to take them out of the bags for me. Oh, man. absolutely. How you been? Uh, sick as a dog. I went to, uh, I was in uh, Europe last month. I was doing a convention tour over there, and I picked up a flu bug in Paris. Oh, no. And it just about laid me out flat, man. No, I'm fine now. I, it was just last month. I, I mean, I lost 31 pounds. That's how sick I was. Yeah. yeah, you're not kidding. How's the comics work for you? Still getting regular gigs? No, I don't work. For, I've worked in comics in years. Really? I thought you and uh, Michelangelo just had something that came out. Well, oh, that's something that's been in inventory for years. Oh, I got you. No, I quit Marvel a while ago. I don't. I don't do it. I work in Hollywood now. You know, so I. I did put out Colony this year, I mean, uh, as a, a tribute to Dickie, you know, but uh, even that had been done, like, years ago. No, so I don't have any comic projects in the works. So. This time I really went with kind of iconic covers, and, and what I tried to do was both, was, was both go with iconic covers, but also as new armors would come along, that sort of thing. So I've got here, uh, I got him to sign. And uh, you guys have to go on online or in your own collections and see which comics I'm talking about. But I got Iron Man 116, 118, which was, uh, I believe, John Byrne uh, did the uh, inside illustration. This is the one of Tony Stark falling out of the helicarrier and reaching for his uh, attache case with Iron Man's armor in it as all the armor is kind of spilling out of it. I love that cover. 126, which uh, makes an awesome T-shirt that I keep seeing around. I keep wanting a copy of it, but I, I just haven't gotten it yet. Um, but that's the one of him uh, in the red and gold armor kind of suiting up. 215 with the uh, silver centurion armor. The uh, you got 222, him lifting a car over his head. 228, Iron Man. This is, again, the silver centurion one versus uh, the captain, which is a great cover. Oh, yeah, that's an excellent cover. Love that one. And then 230, which was the last issue with the uh, the Silver Centurion. This is the one where that armor actually got destroyed. And uh, for a time, the world thought that Iron Man was dead. Great cover on that one, too. So I got a little bit of time with him. He was feeling a little bit under the weather, though, so I didn't get as much time with him as I, as I might have liked. But it was it was pretty cool. He was really nice to talk to. I moved on from there to Chris Claremont, who I had never met before, but was really, really looking forward to uh, to meeting him. And this was hard because, God, there's so many books that it would have been really, really nice 
yeah. to take to have him sign, you know? I have 17 years of X-Men here. Uh, <laughs> get to work. Well, what's funny was that I didn't, you know, I instantly kind of discounted X-Men from my list because, for one, I figure he's probably sick to death of signing X-Men, but also, admittedly, I'm not much of an X-Men fan at all. So I was thinking more of some of his other stuff that I knew him from, but then at some point while I was kind of making my stack, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I forgot this book. So... Of course, one of the big things I wanted to have him sign for me was uh, he did an early issue of Marvel's Star Wars. He did number 17, which was a flashback story to Luke as a kid on tattooing and uh, racing skyhoppers with Biggs Darklighter and stuff like that. I love, I have always loved this issue. I always thought it was a great one. Plus... The cover on it was by Dave Cockrum and Bob McCloud, and I knew that McCloud was going to be there too, and I really wanted to get him to sign some stuff. So I took this hoping to get signatures by both of them, and uh, and I got Chris Claremont's signature on that because he wrote that issue, and I really enjoyed that one. Um, I was doing the X-Men. There wasn't enough hours in the day. Uh-huh. Um, Archie was... I guess basically I was it was fun but it was fun to visit I didn't want to hang out As in, years ago a bunch of us were at a convention in New York and this guy is there and he's telling us all about how he once he wanted to tell stories about the other ships in Starfleet. It's a parenthetical aside. And he had these great ideas. And it's like Frank Miller and I were there and a bunch of other guys. And we all looked at him and said, why don't you just change the name, revamp the, the fundamentals of it just a little, and do it as your stuff. Why, why make it part of Starfleet? Why bind yourself to... The st- right. to the Star Trek universe and he was like no the, the whole point to him was to be part of the universe well I already play I played in the Marvel universe for a living I didn't want to go playing in George's universe until Willow came along and, and the and the opportunity to write novels and talk to George up front about it was irresistible. Even though my wife, who is the brains of the outfit, said, you're an idiot. And on one level, she was right. On the other level, the fanboy in me just couldn't resist. But the reality is I've, I've spent my whole working life doing great stuff for other people. Right. <coughs> you know, I've, I've made Marvel's fortune. Uh, my creations have helped make Fox a billion dollars over the years. I haven't seen any of it. And, you know, it's... X-Men is now done by 
scores of other people and is totally different from everything I set up. And that's, you know, it's the nature of comics, but I don't want to waste my time anymore. So that's the, the long-winded and self-serving rationale for why I don't. And, you know, the problem with playing in George George's universe, especially on Star Wars, is that everything had to be approved by some guy back at Lucasfilm or some gal back at Lucasfilm who had no interest at all in whether it was any good or not, just whether it fit the canon. The comics that were like the, you know, the, the forehead slap going, oh my god, I, I gotta remember to take these, is, again, with, despite my, the fact that I'm not much of an X-Men fan, my favorite X-Men story, and I really, really do love this because it's one of my favorite comic stories, is when the X-Men fought Dracula. Uh-huh. And it was kind of a continuation of Dracula's story from Tomb of Dracula after that got canceled. And that was in Uncanny X-Men number 159, and it was continued in Uncanny X-Men annual number 6. Now, last Megacon, I got those two books signed by the artist, who is Bill Senkevic. So then this year, I was lucky enough to get them finally signed by the author, uh, Chris Claremont, and that was really, really cool. And I got my copy of Marvel and DC Present number one, which is better known as the Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans. Woohoo! Got, yep. Now, I think I'm going to try in subsequent years to see if I can get it signed by some of the other uh, members of the team on that, like uh, especially Walt Simonson would be really, really awesome. But the big thrill with, uh, with talking with Chris Claremont was he <laughs> evidently had not seen a copy of Star Trek Dead of Honor in some time. Because not only did we have a really nice little conversation about it, but as you'll hear in this clip of audio where it kind of goes silent, it's because he's just flipping through the book and just taking in the art and kind of reliving and, and refreshing himself on the story. We had just reviewed this on our show not long ago. Fantastic book. We absolutely loved it. But we felt really silly when we got feedback from one of our listeners pointing out that to her, sure seems like she could be the daughter of Kirk and Tissell. What a... Gee, that... We never... <laughs> it didn't even occur to us during the course of the, of the really? story. Really? Yeah, totally. Jeez, I mean, I thought Once I... Once he pointed it out, I was like, how did I miss that? But... I will, you know, that should have been up there with like a. That's awesome. I think the operative response to that was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just. Oh, no. I... <laughs> Yes, we touched on every stupid episode we could get our hands on. Oh, we loved it, though. I mean, it's it's such a meaty read, and uh, like you say, you do. You touch on every episode, or a lot of the classic episodes. I like that you touched on the motion picture, because that's my personal favorite. Well, of course, films. we had to get up, you know, not just the motion picture, but the, you know, we came in. When did we come in? Well, when right after the whales. Mm-hmm. And how do we get in? Well, we're explaining how the how we have two different breeds of Klingons. 
Now, besides the little sort of sequel with, with Jamie Finney and that one Next Generation special, yeah. did you ever do any other follow-ups? Nope. Any interest to do any follow-ups? No one's ever asked. You know, but again, it's it's like... I mean, it would be fun, for example, to do... I mean, the fun thing would be to do to do a story with um, uh, with either either the um, you know with the next generations with with um, Tekel or. Um, her daughter. I take it you haven't seen the book in a while? And I just love looking at Adam's stuff. He's here, so you should get his. Yes, yeah, so I'm well. gonna try. I'm gonna try my best. Again, thank you so much. And that was a lot of fun. At first, it was a little awkward, like, okay, what do I do while I just stand here watching him flip through this book? And I could feel the eyes of the other people in line on me, like, dude, you know, move along. But he was just having a blast, just flipping through the book, looking at the art and stuff. So I thought that was really cool. But uh, not only did he sign the book to me personally, but he also drew a little picture inside that was really cool. A little picture of the Enterprise. And uh, and he personally signed it and then also dated it, which was really cool. Plus, later on in the show, and this was also at Claremont's suggestion, Adam Hughes just happened to be there. And Hughes was the artist on Dead of Honor, so I actually got it signed by both uh, Claremont as the writer and Adam Hughes as the artist. So that's going in a very special place of honor in my collection. And uh, Hughes was another one that was, uh, he was really, really nice to meet and everything. But he was the first one that kind of made me aware that despite the numbers being really good at the convention, that uh, maybe some of the creators weren't... uh, weren't doing as well as they had wanted or whatever because he he seemed I don't want to say bitter but he definitely seemed a little disappointed in the fact that uh and for one thing I walked right up to him there was uh, like absolutely no line or anything which really shocked me and I think if I remember right I think I said something to the effect of you know how come you don't have a line out the door or something you know something like that and he was just like yeah he goes well you know i'm i'm kind of last week's flavor last year's flavor or something like that that he said and i was it just kind of broke my heart i was like oh don't feel that way you know cuz that that guy i mean he's a hell of an artist but uh i kind of got that reaction from a couple of different uh couple of different creators where they kind of felt like 
I don't know, like maybe their time had come and gone or something. I, I don't know. It was, it was a little bit weird, you know, and you're always like, you know, God, what, you know, what do you say to somebody like that? You know, when they, it's gotta be hard. I mean, it really does because you, how do I want to say this? You, you really, you, you pour your heart into something and then, you know, Jerry Ordway is a good example of this, you know, oh yeah, very recently came out publicly and I knew it was hard for him because I've had private conversations with Jerry about that kind of stuff. When Jeff and I would interview him on From Crisis to Crisis, when we were, it wouldn't be during the actual episode, but, you know, afterwards when we're just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze and all that, he'd be like, you know, I'd like, you know, I'd like to get more work. And of course we're like, yeah, <laughs> of course you want to get more work. And I mean, it's got to be hard, and I'm not, and I'm not saying, oh, woe is them, because I'm sure Adam Hughes is probably still doing very well for himself, uh, and is still a, a, an artist that's kind of in demand. But at the same time, you're there, you don't have a line, and the guy down the way who's been doing it a couple years fewer than you have is got like a line out the door, and that's got to right. be like a little bit of eh. right. <laughs> little not hurt but it's more like you know well what has he got that i haven't got you know i'll tell you what that uh the thing about ordway um i heard spoken of several times including once while i was in line uh, a fan you know somebody a convention goer that was there was talking to one of the creators that will remain nameless and having a really good conversation on the subject because this guy turns out he's really close friends with uh with Ordway and uh it was a very interesting conversation that basically amounted to well he's likely not going to get work again and it was like wow you know really but to listen to them talk it was like you know he kind of did one of those things you don't do and you know i i the what i gathered from the conversation was that you know, he went in knowing that, you know, when he posted what he posted, he kind of more than likely he realized, well, you know, there's no, there's no backing off from this. You know, once I, once I commit to this and once I, you know, say this, then, you know, that might be it. But it was, uh, it was an interesting conversation nonetheless, but, uh, of course you didn't record it. Damn you. <laughs> Uh, I won't say I didn't record it, but it's not going to be part of the episode. <laughs> but uh, moving along here, next one, and this, again, was a real thrill for me. I had met him briefly last year, but really only had just one kind of peripheral book that he'd worked on for him to sign. So this year I wanted to bring something that was a little more personal to me, and uh, that was Paul Pelletier. Very nice. I like him quite a bit. I do too. And uh, I got him to sign Outsiders number zero. This was a fantastic cover of his on this one. Has the Outsiders looking basically like they're being led by the Eradicator and, and the Eradicator's being shot at and bullets are bouncing off his chest. I loved the Outsiders during this time when the Eradicator was a member of the team, and Pelletier's art is just awesome. But the cool thing was, is he had some pages there, and I was looking at him going, I can't place what this is from. And they were they were just the pencil pages, 
but just so detailed and so gorgeous. And it was some Aquaman stuff. And, oh, uh, yeah. And he and uh, or myself and another uh, convention goer were, were standing there. And the guy, the, the convention, when I walked up, this guy was already looking at the pages. So he was kind of flipping the pages for me. But we were looking at the stuff together, and I was just drooling, going, wow, this is just gorgeous. I feel like I'm cheating. The issue hasn't even come out yet, so. Yeah, I figured, what the heck. <laughs> Who is this? Yeah, the, uh, the Dead King. We hinted at him at the end of... Uh, oh, that's who that was. Yep. Okay. figure what the heck, we don't have the words here, so it's not giving away too much. <laughs> I like that image. How's Megacon for you this year? Really good. Really good? Yep. That's extremely busy. I meant to have you sign this recording last year, and like a dope, I forgot it at the house, but uh, I loved your run on Outsiders. No, it was funny when uh, when Jeff Johns first contacted me about doing Aquaman. That was one of the first things he said. He said he, he, he really dug my run on Outsiders. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. He said he was a fan ever since, so I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm one of those fans, the old-time uh, fanboys, is feeling kind of disenfranchised with DC right now. Yeah. I had no idea you were working on Aquaman, but looking at this uh, artwork here, I'm going to have to go check that out. I love your work, and I love Aquaman, so i got to check that out. It looks really fantastic. Cool. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I think issue 18 is the first one where I really started feeling like I was getting a good groove. I started Rosa with uh, 15. Rodriguez. 15 was Please my first 15. one. Oh, okay. Yep. Your party. Excellent. The authenticity. Authenticity. Who's uh, writing the title? Jeff Johns. Oh, Johns is writing. Oh, okay. Yep. I got you. Under loading dot four. Thank you so much. Have a great time. I had no idea, and I told him this. Yeah, he's doing a great job, too. It's uh, Before him, it was Ivan Reese and Joe Prado. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were doing a really good job with that book. That book uh, it has, I, I finally got caught up on it, and I was very impressed with what Johns was able to kind of do with the character. But Reese and Prado have moved over to Justice League, so ah. Pelletier has replaced them, and I'm and I, I I think that's it's it's a lateral move for me because I've loved Pelletier since his work on the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern series. Yeah. Where I really liked his style. And I'm yeah. only now just starting to read that Outsiders series. So it's kind of funny that you mention it, because I just, <laughs> I'm literally starting it right now. Oh, that's cool. I think you'll Not enjoy it. Not while we're recording, but right now. You know. I, I think you'll enjoy it a lot, because, uh, you know, of course, it had the Eradicator, who I always liked as a character. I always thought he was really cool. But then... Uh, some of the other characters that got introduced around that time, like the the kid that claimed to be um, Felix Faust's son, was uh, I thought he was a really cool character too. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. But it was cool because we were talking about that, and uh, as you'll hear in the recording, you know, he mentioned that uh, he felt that it was kind of his work on the Outsiders that got him the current gig on uh, on Aquaman. 
But up till now, I have had zero interest in the new 52, but I'm probably going to have to go and hunt down that uh, that Aquaman stuff because it's know, brand new. It really is. It's it, He's done maybe two, three issues. Hmm. Uh, but just to warn you, his first couple of issues cross over with Justice League. Now, having said that, it's a really good story where basically we're introduced to the new Ocean Master Atlantis has attacked and Ocean Master floods cities on the east east coast basically as a retaliation saying the surface world has attacked us so we are going to attack them and Aquaman and the Justice League are kind of caught in the middle and it's the first time on that title that I went this is good this is what <laughs> Justice League needs to be cool I ran into uh <laughs> I don't know if I could really describe him as my buddy yet but uh, I was very pleased that he remembered me, and we had quite the nice little conversation both on and off the air. But I ran into Jimmy Palmiotti. Jimmy Palmiotti! <laughs> who's always a blast. Plus, it turned out that sitting right next to him, and I felt like a dope because I totally didn't realize. I didn't recognize him. I don't, I don't know that I'd ever seen his picture, so I didn't recognize him, didn't realize who he was until Jimmy pointed it out was Justin Gray, you know, his his Ooh, longtime writing partner nice. and everything. So that was really cool. So the books that I had taken to have Jimmy uh, sign, you know, they, he'd, he'd worked on all of them with Justin. So Justin signed them for me, too. Which, so I got a twofer on all of these, which was really, really awesome. Good, great. How are you? Good job. Going great good, so far. Good, I don't know if you remember me. Scott Gardner, two, two, three. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Of times. Yep, yep, yeah. How you doing? Good, good, man. How's the con for you? It's fun. You know, we get to stand around and watch Amazons and uh, Amazons and uh, and freaks, yeah, and crazy people. Freaks, yeah, freaks. You know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> I brought you an odd bag this time. Oh, it's you all good. You signed so many books for me before. I was like, all right, I got to get original this time. All right. I always, as a kid, really, really, really wanted an adaptation of Superman the movie. Didn't understand until recently why they never did one because of all the things we had. Right. With uh, what's his name from the Godfather there? Yeah, uh, uh, Puzo. Yeah. But yours is as close as we ever got, and it's awesome. Thank you. It's, and you got Justin here too, so you get two signatures on it. Oh no way! Are you Justin? Yeah, Man? yeah. I'm sorry, I had no That's idea. Right. That's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. I have got. He can attest. I have gushed repeatedly about you guys' work on Jonah Hex. Yeah, he loves Hex. Fan of Jonah. Thank you. As a matter of fact, a while back, I'm embarrassed to say it's on hiatus for probably like a year and a half now. But I was doing a Jonah Hex podcast for a while. Oh wow! I plan to pick it back up at some point, but uh, I love you guys' work. Thank you. Thank you. Next to Superman, Jonah is probably my second favorite uh, comic character. It would be funny if Jonah, Jonah and Superman met at one point. You know, then we could save you like you buy only one book. They, they did sort of kind of meet. There was that, um, oh, what was the name? It was a novel. I'm trying to remember who wrote it. It was a novel where Superman had to go back to the Old West with the Phantom Stranger. And I want to say Etrigan was in it. I've seen people that have... Damn, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? But it, was, it wasn't really Superman because it was like an alternate timeline. So once everything straightened out, then Superman would never remember having met Joan and all that. Right. It was, it was, Don't you hate when they do that? Yeah. Why can't I do, you just remember actually. it? Yeah, why can't he just remember it? Why can't it just be. It doesn't ruin everyone's lives, it doesn't destroy the DC universe. The memory of Jonah Hex corrupts Superman. So it holds it up pretty good. 
Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's a little thicker stock, so it won't, I wouldn't roll it. So. Well, I got the both of you. I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. Yeah. Got to resolve this thing with Hex. The Future Series. I know everybody else hates it. I love it. Right. I want to. How's it get bad? I don't know. You guys ever going to touch on that? I know. I know you probably want to stay as far away from that. As you know, possible. it's an interesting question. That's how he would how he would get back from the future. So we're going to have to think on that. I think there's an epic story, in it, and I'd like to see Superman involved in that story. Speaking of Superman, I always thought that there could be really something there to that story. If anybody ever, you know, really wanted to touch on it, because I know it's one of those things that everybody's kind of like, let's forget that ever happened. I liked it. I like the idea of what they were. It's going all about execution. That. I think Batman would have something more to do with it. Yeah, Batman, because he's more of a detective, so he would be trying to find. And we've been tying it in, right? All Star Western. I think he would. Pro- it would be more natural if he was a guy trying to figure out. Yeah, I think you know. We're gonna have some fun. Next year is crazy. Yeah. I'm loving it. The I'm book is it. crazy. This yeah. year coming, I'm telling you, the book's... Starting with 19. 19, it gets crazy. You know what happens in 19? You know what happens in 19? No I, no idea. <laughs> have you seen the solicitations? I stay away from them. Oh, then don't spoil it for him. No, nah, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You just... You're regular. You're gonna get it, right? You get it. You pull box. Yes, absolutely. Then you don't have to worry. Yeah. A little behind, but I do get it. I, make I sure you make sure your retailer has it in the pull box, okay? Because it's gonna sell out like that. Trust me, you'll see why. So make sure you have it pre pre ordered, okay? This is a book I've been meaning to ask you about, Mike, because I didn't know if you have this or if you were even aware of it. But do you have the Superman Returns prequels? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. See, I love the first one, which mm-hmm. was the uh, it was called Krypton to Earth. This yeah. is basically an adaptation of Superman the movie from the beginning of the movie up until baby Superboy, you know, emerges from the Kryptonian ship in the in the Kansas cornfield. It's so odd that you say that because I felt the exact same way when the book came out. I'm like, wow, this is the closest we are ever going to get mm-hmm. to a comic book adaptation. And I'm of the opinion that I don't really want one at this point because the great thing about those adaptations is they're usually from an earlier script. Right. So you get like little things in there that are different from the movie and you don't get that in an after-the-fact adaptation right. because right. They, they did that with like Transformers the movie from 86. Uh, when IDW got the Transformers license... They did a Transformers the movie adaptation, and I'm like, I'm just seeing. I have this on DVD. Right. If I really want to see it. I, I would do that. It's see. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was a beautiful book. In the in the very very early days of Star Trek uh, Monthly Monday, one of our listeners sent me the. Uh, I believe it was IDW did a four issue. I think it was a four issue adaptation of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and that's exactly how I felt about that. Was like, you know what? This is straight off the DVD. You know, there's this is giving me nothing new and original. Mm-hmm. I was very disappointed. This, however, this uh, this is Superman Returns prequel number one, and it's by uh, you know Palmiotti and Gray were the writers on it, and uh, Olivetti. I forget the guy's first name. What is Olivetti? Ariel. Ariel. Ariel yeah, Olivetti. that's right. His art is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I love this. So I was I was really you know praising this up to the guys. And what was funny was I wasn't sure what their reaction was going to be because 
you know, it's it's a licensed thing and all that. So I didn't know if they'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, or God, what'd you bring that for? But they seemed genuinely touched that somebody had brought this and was really praising it up because I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really, really cool. Next one I brought for it was really for Jimmy, and I like I say I got Justin as a as a twofer, was the recent Jonah Hex hardcover graphic novel, Jonah Hex No Way Back. And this was a real thrill because not only did they both autograph the inside front cover, but, you know, by it being an actual book, you know, a graphic novel, so the inside front cover, like a real book, they're just blank pages. So Jimmy actually sketched a full page uh, headshot picture of Hex smoking a little cigarro. Nice. And signed it. It's beautiful. I'm going to scan this. And, uh, you know, what? I can't remember. I may have already scanned this and put it up on Facebook. If, if I haven't, though, I'm going to so everybody can see it because it's really, really nice. Because I, I think people forget sometimes that uh, that Jimmy is also an artist in addition to being mm-hmm. a hell yeah, I was, writer. I was just reading the first issue of Blood Syndicate. He was the inker on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to bring uh, – this is something, if we have time in this, I may actually go over my short stack of books that didn't make the trip with me because I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to bring, and it just wasn't able to bring a whole lot of stuff. But I almost brought with me Star Trek Ashes of Eden, the the little uh, – I don't know what you would call that. I guess it's kind of a graphic novel. But he did the uh, he either did the art or the inking on that. I'm not sure. One of the two. But it's fantastic. Just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. And I know he's a big Star Trek fan too. But like I say, not, not everything could come, so some things had to get cut. But uh, I don't know um, if you've read Jonah Hex No Way Back, but I thought it was fantastic. And one of, if not the last work by uh, Tony DiZaniga before he passed away. So unfortunately, I'll now never get it signed by Tony, which would have been really, really nice. But a fantastic story. I really like this. And uh, I thought it was just a really great Hex story. Got to talk to them a little bit about uh, Hex, the the series that took place in the future. So uh, you'll hear that in in the audio clip. Lastly... I brought number the issue number 53 of the uh, most recent Jonah Hex series, Jonah Hex Volume 2, before it was canceled to make way for uh, All-Star Western Volume 2. I brought this issue really for one reason. I loved the art, and the art was by, uh, by Billy Tucci. So Palmiotti and Gray signed the cover for me, and then I wandered over and I found Billy Tucci's table. And I was just getting the book out of the bag to have him sign it when I looked on the wall behind him where he had all these beautiful lithographs. And damned if he didn't have a lithograph of the exact cover to this issue. Now, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture, it's beautiful. It's a sepia-toned picture made very, very much to look like an actual photograph. It looks like an old-timey, Old West photograph, kind of like those ones that you could go to the... You used to be able to go to the mall 
for a time, this was a big deal in like, what was that? Like the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. There's like old timey sepia tone pictures that people would go and have done. Like they were an old West photograph. It looks like that. And it's hex in his full, you know, his, his civil war get up and everything, you know, the bounty hunter hex. He's got a, you know, one of his giant dragoons like stuffed into his belt. And he's holding this, you know, really mean looking shotgun in one hand. And he's got this beautiful, like, bar floozy hanging on him and everything. It's just a gorgeous piece of art. Any plans to do any hex in the future? No. No? You need to. I'd love to. Well, tell Jimmy. See, why don't you get to I will. I'll go back and tell him right now. See, this was the best Jonah Hex book I've ever read. You should get to to do some more. I'll tell So I got the book signed by all three you know palmiotti and gray as the writers and then tucci as the artist then i bought the lithograph which was only 20 bucks which i thought was an absolute steal and i had him personally sign it to me so it's that's also signed by tucci as the artist and then palmiotti and gray as the writers of the title that is also that's going to get frank that's going to go in a special place of honor because i don't usually i'll be honest with you i really am a stingy bastard when it comes to cons i usually don't spend much money at all but i'll I'll always allow myself like one really nice memento of the of the occasion and that uh, this one takes the cake i just thought this was fantastic all right guys are gonna get sick of me i just stopped over to billy's table and check this out check this out oh yeah is this not awesome yeah billy's still making money off all right so I asked him, I said, so when are you going to do more hacks? He says, oh, I need Jimmy to ask me. So ask him already. I mean, no, that guy's awesome. He's horrible. He's a horrible human being. <laughs> you know, we have a regular artist on it, so it's like, you know, more tats on every issue. Oh, uh, I know. I love him, but, oh, come on. Yeah, come I on, know, come I on. Know, I know. <laughs> we love Billy, you know. So. Oh, he's we, awesome. We'll find something else for him. And uh, it was really nice to be remembered by uh, by Paul Miotti as the guy that really is a Jonah Hex nut. You know, he, he really he remembered that. So I thought that was cool. Um, briefly, got to meet uh, Steve Epting, which was uh, pretty cool. Ooh, I mean, nice. I'm, he he was a really nice guy. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of his work, but uh, I liked his stuff on the uh, on the Avengers back in I guess this was early '90s, I think. When he did, uh, well, the issues I took and got signed was uh, Avengers 335, 375, including the pull-out poster, which was really cool. And then he was also the artist on Marvel Universe, which I don't know if you ever read that, but uh, great stuff by uh, Roger Stern was the writer on that. It was like uh, Invaders era. Uh, yeah, no, I know exactly episode. what you're talking about. You know about. what I'm talking it about? Took me a- Took me a second to to kind of figure that out. No, Marvel, that was uh, it. Jumped all around, didn't it? Because the first storyline yeah. was a invader story, but I think it changed soon after that. Yeah, it was became like monsters or something like that. Yeah, something. I don't think he worked on that. So I could be wrong, but I don't think he worked on it. But I know he did the the first four issues that were uh, Cap and the Invaders. I love that stuff. It was really nice stuff. Let's see here who we got next. Oh, this one. This is one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on for this, Mike, because I know you're going to get a kick out of this. I know you're going to appreciate where I was coming from. So on my birthday in 1992, almost 21 years ago, just shy, just like a month and a few days shy of 21 years ago, 
I got signed one of my favorite uh, issues of uh, of a Superman story, Action Comics number six sixty two, which was the issue where Clark Kent reveals his secret identity to Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Got it signed by Roger Stern, personally autographed to me for Scott Best Roger Stern, and now twenty one years later, got it signed to Scott by Bob McCloud. So now I have both the writer and the artist. And uh, I tell you what, I was a gushing idiot telling Bob McCloud what a thrill and an honor this was. But he was so nice. It was really a thrill for me to get to finally meet him because we had him on um, Star Wars Monthly Monday a couple of months ago to talk about um, one of the issues, you know, basically his whole run on Marvel Star Wars, but you know, one issue in particular that he had done. So I had spoken to him, but never actually met him face to face. So really, really nice to meet him. But uh, like I said, I got Action Six Sixty Two, also Action Six Sixty Three, which uh, I'd also previously had signed by Roger Stern. This was an issue. The cover on this one, Mike, I, I know you remember this one. This is the one that takes place in the 40s. Yep. And it has uh, Clark Kent ripping open his uh, his double-breasted suit jacket. And in the background is like the circus posters and stuff. Great, great cover. I want to meet him again because the, the first and only time I ever met Bob McCloud was uh, there was some function at, at my high school. And I'm driving out. I'm riding in the back seat of a friend, and, and another guy waves me down, another friend of mine. I forget who. might have been my buddy Petty, who was a professional artist at the time, even in high school. And he's like, hey, Mike, this is Bob McCloud, because Bob McCloud lived in Emmaus at that time. Right. And I'm just like, oh, hey, I you drew Superman. So, <laughs> so it was kind of an awkward meeting, because I'm in the back seat of a car. And it's just it was just very weird. So I'd like <laughs> to have like an official face-to-face, shake his hand have him sign some books type of meetings. <laughs> Very strange. He was incredibly, incredibly nice. And probably the person that I brought the most books for, so I felt a little weird about that because something I forgot to mention was as I was late waiting in, the longest line that I waited for was the one for Chris Claremont. I actually waited there a long, long time, longer than I typically will, will wait for anything. And I waited a long time, and there was a dude that did the typical thing that every con goer hates, every comic book con goer hates, is when they just go up with just this massive stack and like, here, sign this. And then they don't even talk to the guy. And this guy did just that. He walked up, plopped down, just like thump on the table, this giant stack of stuff, easily 50 books many of them duplicates and triplicates so you know what's going on never even spoke to claremont please please sign this to ebay yeah exactly i would appreciate that and as soon as he was done he reaches down pumps another stack just as large on the table now claremont to his credit never missed a beat he just continued to sign away and everything was cool but I never saw any money change hands. I, I never saw any pleasantries exchange. No conversation. No handshake. No nothing. Just two giant stacks of comics thumped down 
and here, sign these. And I'm, I was just, if I had been closer enough to the guy where I thought that he would, I would have said something. I really would have, even if it would have made a scene, maybe even, even got me tossed out. I probably would have said something to the effect of dude, seriously, what a dick thing to do. You know, what a, just an awful way to treat somebody. But uh, like I say, to, to Claremont's credit, he just he was cool about it, you know. But uh, I was actually I was a little bit surprised because for the first time that I can recall, um, I did hear a number of creators that I know don't really charge for their signatures or anything, kind of just make a mention of you know. By the way, you know I don't mind signing stuff, but you know there is a tip jar kind of thing, which you know I'm cool with that. I'm perfectly happy to throw something in the tip jar. I'm not so cool on the whole, you know, I charge $20 for my signature. That, to me, is, I, I, I still feel like that's sketchy territory. But if they're like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to sign your books, but, you know, can you, you know, toss in something, in, you know, in the tip jar? That's cool. You know, that, that I don't mind doing. Because I think they're doing that to avoid those people, and I'll gladly pay that price to avoid that kind of nonsense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, I agree completely. Mr. McLeod. How's it going? Scott Gardner from Two True Freaks. You were on our show not long ago talking uh, Star Wars 86. How's it going? Good? It's nice to finally meet you. Nice to meet you. You got time to sign some books? Sure. Just chat a little bit. I brought it. (laughs) How's Megacon going for you? It's good. Had a good show? You should have a line out the door. What's going on? Well, 99% of the artists are over there, you know, the established artists are over there, and there's like four of us over here, so a lot of people don't even know I'm here. I think they did this to me last year, because I didn't know you were here last year. It's when uh, when we were talking to you that uh, you told me that you come every year. I, I was shocked, so yeah. I was going to make sure I knew. Uh, yeah, well, they put me here every year. I need to talk to them, but... It's a hassle. Do you have a limit on books? I, I don't want to be a hog. That's all right. So how's, how you been? You doing all right? Good. You've been really busy. It's been a busy year. Oh, that was, I was been doing say, a lot of shows this year. Where else you been to besides this one? I just got back from London. Oh, wow. Um, going to... Uh, Philadelphia, going to Mexico. Wow, all over the place. Making, making the rounds. Going to another show in Florida in June, up at Ocala. What was that one? I don't know, maybe it's a new show. It's the first time I've heard of it. Hmm. It's going to be the end of June. years ago got signed on my birthday by uh, Roger Stern so it means a lot to me to finally get it signed by the artist as well. Alright. Do you want me to sign it on the inside too? Oh please. But let's see here continuing with McLeod real quick. New Titans number 50 which was the beginning of the Who is Wonder Girl story. Have you ever read that? Oh yeah uh, years ago but I remember that I remember that vividly because that came out around the same time of Death in the Family. 
Yes. And I remember seeing it on the spinner rack along with that uh, at Walden Bucks. And years later, I remember reading it because it was it was the big return of Perez to yes. Titans. Yeah, I had forgotten until I was kind of going through books and, and looking for things to bring to this. I'd forgotten that they had worked together on that, McLeod and, uh, and Perez. And uh, I love that story. And the art is absolutely gorgeous. McLeod really works well with Perez. And uh, I, to my to my recollection, I don't think they've really done anything else together, which is a shame because their art styles really complement one another yes, they very, do. very nicely. Like I had told you when we uh, were talking, I've long been an admirer of your work, so I tried to bring a little snippet of <laughs> a little bit of everything that you've done that I've been such a big fan of over time. I love the uh, Who is Wonder Girl story. I thought it was fantastic. It was good, wasn't it? Of course, you can't meet Bob McCloud and not have him sign something new to you. So I had him for me. Marvel graphic novel number four, which is the first appearance of the New Mutants. And nothing would be complete without New Mutants. And uh, just one of the most gorgeous comics ever, in my opinion. Just a beautiful book. I mean, so, so nicely illustrated. But, of course, the big thing, and uh, the thing that we had him on Star Wars Monthly Monday for was uh, Star Wars number 86. We're rapidly approaching the end of our coverage for... Marvel Comics Star Wars, so I feel pretty justified in this point with us only having just a handful of issues left in this series and saying, Star Wars 86, pretty sure that's going to end up getting my vote for the best single issue of the entire series. And uh, one of the big reasons, of course, is for Bob McCloud's art. That's just a fantastic issue. If you only ever read one, that's the one to own. Great, great story. And now I finally have that signed by, uh, by McCloud. Also had him sign uh, that issue, uh, Chris Claremont story, because he inked the cover on that over um, Dave Cockrum. Finally, Star Wars number 88, which was the, uh, it's not that great of a story, but the art, of course, is beautiful because it's McLeod. But it's the uh, first appearance of uh, Lumaya, who, you know, we now know turns out to be... Uh, Shira Bry, or Shira, rather, Shira Bry, now that I know how to pronounce that. So those were the books that I had signed by McLeod. Oh, this one should tickle you quite a bit, Mike. Finally got to meet Mr. Chuck Dixon. Oh, you who... lucky bastard. <laughs> I wanted so badly to meet him last year because he was there last year. And I should have gone up and just met him anyway even without having something to sign but i i didn't take anything for him to sign i couldn't really think of anything to have him to sign because i was looking through his like his body of work and going i liked this i liked that but it wasn't anything that really jumped out at me like oh i must get that signed you know and, and i was already taking so many books like i say some you just have to call you know you have to be very selective but this year because I knocked out a bunch of books last year, this year it was like, all right, I really want to take, because I really wanted to meet the guy. And so I was determined I was going to find some books to take. So as I'm doing my research and everything, and of course the book that immediately jumped to the forefront of my brain for Chuck Dixon was Robin number one, because I was a big fan of Robin. I really liked that book. 
Um, it didn't hurt that it had uh, Tom Grummet art. When Tom mm-hmm. Grummet's just, oh my God, he's a fantastic artist. But I like the stories. I mean, I, I really like Chuck Dixon's uh, stories on that book. So I got him to sign uh, Robin number one. And as I'm looking, I came across something on the list that really shocked me. I had totally forgotten or never realized, one of the two, that Chuck Dixon was the writer on the four-issue prestige uh, miniseries called Code of Honor. I love that book. I mean, really love that book. And so when I finally got to meet him, I think that was the first book I laid out, if I'm not mistaken. And I just started gushing. I was telling him how much I really, really enjoyed the book. And I said, you know, call me crazy, I said, but I like this book a hell of a lot more than Marvel's. Yet Marvel's is the only thing I ever hear anybody talk about when they talk about the two of these. And he said, you know what's funny? He said, this was actually supposed to be Marvel's 2. But he told me that the writer of um, Marvel's, who I'm struggling to remember, Kurt Busiek? Yep. Said he kind of raised a fuss about it. And so that's why they, they named it the way they named it. And it's just, it's a similar project yet not related. But according to him, it was originally intended to be Marvel's 2. I thought that was very interesting. Oh, yeah. And and a shame that it wasn't, because I I still maintain, I think it's a better story. And I kind of like the art better, too, I have to be honest. Uh, To be fair, though, um, it might have hurt that story, because then everyone's comparing it to Marvel's. Uh, And sequels, sequels in comics rarely do well. This is true. So. Have you ever read this? Have you ever read Cole? No, I, I never have. There, the, it, Chuck Dixon is one of those writers. He's one of my favorite all-time comic book writers ever. Uh, I think he is, along with Bo Smith, if you're going to pigeonhole these guys, he is the best action writer in comics. Just mm-hmm. bar none. But he can infuse so much character into his work that you care about the action that's going on. But he is also very underrated as being a versatile writer because a lot of people do want to, you know, he is the action guy or he's the Batman guy. You know, he wrote Punisher. He wrote Moon Knight. Right. He wrote the, back in 1990, 89, 90, there was an adaptation from the small company of The Hobbit. Chuck Dixon wrote that. It was one of his first, uh, you know, not one of his first professional gigs because he was writing for Eclipse uh, uh, on the back end of the Airboy uh, series. Right. Uh, in the late 80s. And, you know, he he writes a lot of comedy stuff for the Simpsons comic. You know, and, and, and to be fair, some of it is action-oriented, like he apparently wrote. And it's a story I'd kind of read, but I don't, I don't really like reading comic book adaptations of cartoons because I feel like they should be talking right. and moving, and it's just very stilted. But apparently he, he got to write a, a story, one of his stories, of the many that he's written for the Simpsons, was of uh, Abe Simpson, Homer's father, and his, like, military career. <laughs> and I just, like, that would be just so awesome to see Chuck Dixon writing, like, a World War II uh, army story, but it's set in the Simpsons universe. I mean, that just that would just be hilarious to me. And he's still doing a lot of work for G.I. Joe at IDW right now. Right, yeah. Yeah, that, he had a bunch of books laid out on his table, and I noticed a lot of them were G.I. Joe. The last I had seen, you could pick this up 
really cheap. I'm I'm thinking like fifty cent bin material on Code of Honor. Mm-hmm. So if you see it around, or or if I see it again, I'll pick it up and and send it to you. But if you see it around and you have the chance to uh, to check it out, I highly encourage you to. I would really like to know what you would think of this because I have a feeling that you would love it. I really think that you would. Plus, I got a chance to tell him, and he he was really tickled by this. I was asking him if he ever goes over to the Disney parks, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he said he's never been, which always shocks me when these guys are, you know, they're like, I'm like, wow, really? You know, especially a lot of these guys that have done work for Marvel and such, because I thought at this point that, you know, they would, they would get, you know, free passes or something. But anyway, he said he hadn't. So I was telling him that, uh, there's a place over in Disney's Animal Kingdom. And one of the lands over there is called Dino Land USA. And there's a place over there. It's a it's a themed um, merchandise shop. It's called Chester and Hester's Dino Rama. And everything in there is dinosaur themed. They've got, you know, dinosaur toys and all kinds of different stuff. Well, one of the things I get a real thrill out of is there is a ton of comic books on display. You know, they're framed up on the walls and stuff. Everything is dinosaur related. And lo and behold, this issue, Code of Honor number one, is one of the comics that's framed and displayed up on the wall because on the cover of this book, beautiful painted cover, by the way, Spider-Man is fighting a dinosaur. And so Chuck Dixon got a real kick out of the fact that I told him about it because apparently he was not aware of it. So then a day or two after the con, I actually uh, I sent him uh, a picture I had taken a couple of years back of that and uh, and sent it to him so he could see what I was talking about. He seemed like you got a real kick out of that. But I thought that was neat. I love pointing stuff like that out because I did the same thing last year with uh, one of the guys that had worked on. Um, oh, there's a Batman title. I can't remember the name of it now where Batman is on the cover fighting a dinosaur, too. And I was like, hey, do you know that book is, is over there? And you, same thing, you didn't know it. And then uh, lastly with Chuck Dixon, I was I had to confess, I was just perfectly honest with him. I said, all right, this one, I'm being honest. I'm just being kind of a smart ass. This was Superman meets the Motorsports Champions. I need that book so bad. I so need I had that book so bad. It. But I told him, I said, yeah, I'm being kind of a smart ass with this because, you know, it's it's kind of one of those turkeys. However, I said, you know, but this is you writing Superman. You know, for what it is, it's still Superman. I said, you know, did you ever do any other Superman? And he did point out the fact that he did do one other Superman story. Mm-hmm. He couldn't remember what the issue number was, but it was one where uh, Superman and Nightwing team up. It was it was an action comics issue uh, penciled by Scott McDaniel. See, that's what I thought, because that's what I asked him. I said, did, did Scott McDaniel do the art on that? He's like, oh, I don't remember. But I thought that was the one that he... No, I love that issue. Because... Yeah, I do too. I wish I'd known that going in, because I'd have taken it. Because he's also forgetting there was a story in the Nightwing Secret Files and Origins that he wrote that had it was I love this story. It hit me just at the right time because it was around like two thousand, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere around there. And it was a story set right after Nightwing quits being Dick Grayson quits being Robin in, in, in the Teen Titans. And he's trying to find his way. And the the thing that Chuck Dixon set up is that 
Superman was always kind of a friendly uncle to Dick. Uh-huh. Like, like he wasn't a mentor, but he's somebody that Dick respected and he liked and Superman liked him. So, you know, right after he quits, he, he, he's talking to Superman and Superman's like, well, you know, there was a legend on Krypton of a hero named Nightwing. Mm. And I thought it was awesome that in the post-crisis era, Nightwing was still a Kryptonian name that right. Dick adopted. Right. And I was, I was just like, I was like, ah! I was like freaking, I was working at a convenience store at the time, but I was just freaking out about it. And it was just like this, just beautiful little story. And the issue of action comics that he wrote was one of my favorites. Because again, you wouldn't think that Superman and Nightwing would make a good team. They were great together. Mm-hmm. They just they just mesh together. And Dixon, I can't say for sure because I've never spoken to the man about it. But I always got the sense that he may not have wanted to like write Superman continuously. But he obviously had a healthy respect for the character. Right. Because he never wrote him as being condescending to Dick. It was like it was almost like you're my equal, even though you don't have superpowers, and I loved that. Absolutely loved that. Well, I always used to like the stories with Teen Robin. You know, that was it was Dick Grayson, but it was the teenage Robin. Um, you know, just prior to him becoming Nightwing and all that, when they would team up like in World's Finest and stuff. Somehow, I always got a feeling like. You know, like Superman and Dick Grayson always got along really well mm-hmm. because they were very similar personalities and, and that sort of thing. And I always kind of wish that about the time that he stopped being Batman's partner, that maybe he would partner up with Superman somehow on a mm-hmm. regular basis. I always thought that would be a lot of fun because I, I always enjoyed those two characters interacting because Superman treated dick the way i always felt batman should treat him more like you know a little more respect and a little more you know on on the on the same level kind of thing you know and here superman is you know infinitely above you know dick grayson on on a power level and everything like that yet treated him as more of a of a true partner and collaborator than batman ever did and i always thought that was both you know ironic and a lot of fun the cool thing about it is that I think the way Dixon wrote it is that Dick looked at Superman as the guy that he could kind of talk to about what a jerk Batman because right. Batman was his Batman was his dad, and I'm not discounting their relationship because I think there is a lot to be said in the post crisis of Bruce and Dick's relationship. Yes, it's it's it was contentious a lot of the time. But it was always more of, you're my son, I'm training you for this war, and you know you have to meet my expectations or I'm going to be disappointed with you. Whereas Superman was all like, man, look at you. You, gr- you were just a kid when I first met you, and now you've grown up and you're leading the Teen Titans. And, you know, wow, what an amazing individual you've grown up. So that's why I kind of called him his uncle. Right. Because th- th- that's, that's the great... Or maybe... Maybe more Big Brother, even, right? You know that kind of dynamic, and and it's just I, I always wanted to see more of that. They reprinted that issue of uh, because he wrote an issue of 
Action Comics that had this great Scott McDaniel cover. And then during the Superman Rex storyline, there was a month, like right in January or February of 1999, where Superman was in almost every book in the DC Universe. Yes, and yeah, there's this that. there's this great cover of Nightwing kind of crouched behind Superman as he's blocking all these bullets. And again, even though Superman was kind of a Superman was kind of a jerk during that storyline because of things that were going on in the storyline, but even the way Dixon wrote it then was, "Yep, I, I'm here. Let's hang out. We're equals. Let's have an adventure together." Those are the books I would get him to sign. Yeah, thank you for reminding <laughs> me about those. <laughs> well, next guy up for me was also another big thrill because uh, it's just somebody I, I'd, I'd long wanted to meet. And uh, when I finally realized like the perfect book to bring to to ask him to sign, then it was it was just that much bigger of a thrill to to get him to you know to get to meet him and talk to him about it and everything. That's uh, Alex Saviak who, you know, not not one of my favorites, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, but I've always respected his body of work. But, uh, you know, just one of those, like, workhorse artists, you know what I mean? I mean, he, he yeah. did a, just a fantastic run on, like, Web of Spider-Man for, like, the bulk of that series and stuff like that. But he's been around, he's touched a lot of different characters, and uh, so it was fun to be able to bring, you know, some really diverse um, stuff to one creator to to talk about and uh, and to get signed. This one's really wacky. It's uh, DC Comics presents. This is issue. Let's see here, it's blocked on the covers. I got to open up the bag. I think it's fifty three. Yeah, this is fifty three. This is Superman and the Atom. And you might be like, what in the hell did you bring that one for? But the reason I brought this one was twofold. For one, the art's really nice. I like Saviak Superman quite a lot. But it's one wacky story, and it turns out that Superman had an ancestor that actually had lived on Earth as an American Indian. I'm like, <laughs> what? It's the first I'd ever heard of it, and it's really wacky in this story. Plus, it's just got a great cover on it of Superman has actually died, and this is a cemetery and there's a headstone that looks a lot like the same headstone that we would see many years later in the post-crisis Death and Return of Superman story. It's, the headstone just says, Here lies Superman, Earth's mightiest hero. And it, it's it got the S on it and everything. It, it looks a lot like... I actually have a poster from the Death of Superman storyline that looks almost exactly like this tombstone. And standing on top of the tombstone is the Adam saying, I will not rest until you've been avenged, Superman. I'm thinking, that's sweet, but we can't get somebody more powerful than the freaking Adam to avenge Superman's death. But uh, it's just a lot of fun. I've got to dig this issue out and and do like a full-blown like back to the bins or something about it. Because like I say, it is one wacky story. Got him to sign uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 292, which I think is his first work on Spider-Man, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least that's why I took it anyway, because I thought it was. And this was the big one. This was the one that was a real thrill for me. Superman Family number 195, because this has one of my favorite 
Superboy stories in it. And when I was researching Savick and realized that he was the artist on this particular story, then I really had to take it. Because I've always loved the story, but I couldn't, I up till I looked it up, I couldn't tell you who the artist was on it. And then when I realized it was him, I was like, oh my God, that's that story that I like. So I took it and had him sign it. Is that a satellite phone? Uh, no, that's actually a digital recorder for my show. Oh, wow. Everybody thinks it's a taser. No, I'm not yeah. going to tase anybody. Not today. That's pretty cool, though. That was my <laughs> second guess. Just, just, a thro- just a threat. Oh, I did a Superboy story in there. You did. And uh, I tell you, it's one of my favorite Superboy stories. Really? I was, I was going through researching your work because I've been a fan for a long time. That one came up and I was like, I remember that story. That's the I first always... time I drew a Superboy. It was just like one of those things. I came into Julie Schwartz's office and he goes, hey, I got a Superboy story for you. That Great. was a thrill for me because I've always been, I was a big Superboy fan as a kid growing up. Okay. So I was a big fan of your Spider-Man work. Now, I didn't remember you ever drawing Superboy, but like I said, when I was doing my homework. Well, I drew that one like, story once and then at one point, I forget what year this was. This is 1979. Yeah, around 19, I want to say 82 or 83, Kurt Schaffenberger had a heart attack while he was drawing Superboy. And so I come into Julie's office. He goes, hey, how would you like to draw Superboy again? I said, well, the first question was not, thank you very much. I said, what happened to Kurt? He goes, oh, <laughs> Kurt got had a heart attack. But he's coming out of it. He's just recuperating. He just, you know, wanted to know if he, he just can't pencil right now. If you could, you know... I got a three-part series if you want to draw it. I said, sure. So then when I drew the first part, um, and he had the second script for me, he goes, oh, Kurt saw some of the pencils. He wants to ink it. I said, oh, great. So we we worked together on a three-part story where Superboy meets this character called Sunburst. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. And uh, Paul Kupperberg did the writing, and uh, Kurt did the inking. I mean, it looked fabulous. That was New Adventures, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so from this story, I can remember, well, obviously, I've lo- most all the artwork from this that I had is gone, except for this page. I, was, I just kind of uncovered it the other day looking through some artwork, and what happened was I didn't particularly like the way they colored it, so I started coloring <laughs> it on my own, but I never finished it. So I never bring it to a show because I feel like i got to finish coloring it before I bring it to the show. Right. So I still have this one Superboy page. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I got quite a bit of artwork left from the the other New Adventures uh, series. Um, I've, I, I kept the splash pages and a bunch of interior pages, so that worked out fine. Very cool. I was a, I was a big fan of Superboy. He seemed to get a real kick out of that because he was telling me a whole story about you know being hired to do that story, and it was the first Superboy he'd done and all that, so I thought that was really cool. And I had completely forgotten that he did some Superboy work on New Adventures of Superboy with um, uh, Kurt Schaffenberger. So I'm going to have to hunt those issues. I used to have a complete run of that, and then I sold it on eBay years ago. Now I'm going to have to hunt those issues up again because I really like his work on Superboy. That issue of Superman Family has a wraparound cover. Yes. And, And on the back, it has one of my favorite, like, you have completely missed the point. And it's got this guy, he's holding two pictures. One is of Clark Kent, and one is of Clark Kent with no hair. Right. And there's a word balloon that says, I finally know the truth. Clark Kent is bald. It's just like, <laughs> you're so close. So close, dude. <laughs> I also got him to sign Iron Man number 211. Oh, this is your last book? 
And just as a point of information, this was the first book that I ever drew for Marvel when I started working for Marvel. Really? Yeah, I mean, I stopped working for DC, I got my last script, and then um, I immediately went across town to Marvel, dropped off my uh, samples there because I knew John Romita as a close friend and he was the art director, and I think that was a Tuesday, and by Thursday I got a phone call and they said, hey, you know, we need you to do some fill-ins. How about uh, filling in an Iron Man? So I said, Sounds good. That's always been my favorite Iron Man armor. I love the. Uh, oh, you the like the red? The red? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And you know, I always well, I wasn't crazy about that. I was happy to draw <laughs> Iron Man, but I always liked you know the golden armor. With, right. Uh, you know, there's something about that when I could. But to be honest is, with you, I mean, I bought cool. Iron Man as a little kid. My favorite still is the gold clunky armor. Really, I really love that. <laughs> It was issue 200 when it changed to that, right? How much do you sign? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I remember Excuse that. Me? How much do you sign the comic? No problem. No, that's free. And all I ask is a, whatever, minimal donation for heroes. That's cool. That's it. It's a genuine pleasure to meet you, sir. Oh, Thank well, thanks so very much. much. And prints are $20 a piece, and they're three for 50 Have a great con. Thanks very much. What business picks up for you today? Oh, yeah, well, so do I. We'll see yeah. what happens. Turn around. But it's a really fantastic cover of him... Uh, fighting the living laser really neat cover on that so the last one is one of the awesome ones this this was this could have been the biggest one i was looking forward to so it was was almost like saving the best for last but in a lot of ways i saved him to last because every time i went up to to see him he either wasn't at his booth or he was doing a sketch or whatever and and it just took some time before I could finally get up there to where uh I was able to uh to speak with him a little bit and get him to sign some books but this was a huge one for me and that's Pat Broderick. Oh yeah, awesome. I have long been a fan of Pat Broderick and he was the nicest and most gracious guy. And I've got a really good story. This is my I could have hugged him story right here. So I went up and uh, and chatted with him, you know, just briefly and was as basically I always like to try to explain to the to the folks why I picked particular issues for them to sign. Sometimes they're very gracious about that and like, oh, that's nice. And then other times they're like, yeah, yeah, just shut up and let me sign your books. He was kind of halfway between because he was very busy. So I was trying not to bogart his time or anything like that. But I really wanted a chance to kind of speak with him a moment. But these are the books that I took for him to sign. Uh, I took Batman, or excuse me, Detective Comics, rather, uh, featuring Batman number 550. And the reason I took this book was, as you'll hear in this clip, um, this was the, the first Batman comic that I bought for myself. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Do you need to sign a couple of books? Sure. Can I interest you in checking out my website? Absolutely, I do. Um, I was just noticing that it says that it's a digital comic. Yeah. So it's um, one of the things I had come to get today was to get a... Uh, get the comic itself, but you're not doing it as an actual comic, just online? No, I'm doing it online right now. I've got three issues done, and as soon as it's established, we'll do a Kickstarter trade paper crack. But we just got the website up, like, a month ago. And in fact... And been tweaking. It's yeah. Been, you know, these things take tweaking, especially when we don't know how to do it. We've got out. It's 18 bucks a year, 12 issues. Not only am I a big fan of your, of your artwork, but the subject matter definitely appeals well, to me as well. It is a great Then you would story. interest, you it would really enjoy it. Is. 
This is my youngest son, Logan. He's just discovered your work with Captain Adam. Oh. And, uh, very Pleased to meet you, Logan. why I chose that particular issue. When I was a kid, we used to have to walk all the way uptown to a cigar stop shop to buy our comics. And all they ever carried was marbles and charlton's. They didn't carry DCs for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, one day, DCs were on the stands. That was the first Batman I ever bought myself. And it was one of your issues. And I just so enamored of your art from that one issue. I just I really like it. Now that that this one, I, see, see all these black Love spots. I did all those black spots. Did you? Yes, I did. <laughs> so the next book was Doom twenty ninety nine number one, which Ooh. I loved. Doom twenty ninety nine. It was my favorite of the twenty ninety nine series, mostly because I just loved his art. I loved his unique take on Doctor Doom. I loved the updated. Uh, armor and everything. I just thought that was a fantastic title. And I don't know if I still own it, but I used to have a t-shirt that was this cover of Doom 2099 number one. I wish I could find it. I mean, I'll never fit into it again, but it would have been neat to have him autograph Oh, don't sell good. yourself short, sir. I mean, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was... go, on, go, on, go on the Kirk diet and, you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> and... Just to make Shag want to eat his heart out, Fury of Firestorm, number one. Got him to sign that one. And that's a great, I mean, that's I, uh, beautiful. I don't know if that would make Shag eat his heart out. He's had a lot of contact with Pat Broderick lately, so. Oh, has he really? Yes, he has. <laughs> and one of my favorite what-if stories, what if Spider-Man had never become a crime fighter? That one also has uh, art by Pat Broderick, and he draws a great Spider-Man in that issue. That's a really, really good story. See, I would like to get some Fury of Firestorm. The main thing I would love to have him sign, though, because it's, I think, my favorite work of his, was Captain Adam from the late 80s, written by Carrie Bates. If you have never read that series, it is cheap. It is in the 50-cent bins. But it was such a great book. And if you think, you would think that, you know, Carrie Bates was, uh, you know, been writing for 20 years at that point uh, in the business, you know, because he started very young, like Jim Shooter did. Right, yeah. But it, it's it's nothing like his Flash work. It's nothing like his Superman work. It's a very, it's a governmental intrigue type book with a great mystery. Well, not a mystery, but a secret that has to be covered covered up continuously and i just i love that series from top to bottom i i i would love to get him to sign some of that stuff i'm glad you mentioned that because i completely forgot to put that in my notes but uh my boys didn't really bring anything because you know they they were there more to to shop and wander the floor and see costumes and everything um but logan did bring one book and that was Captain Adam number one to have Broderick sign because um, 
I'm not sure why. I think it was because of Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. But Logan became a fan of Captain Adam. And so I was at a, I don't know, a con or a comic shop or something not long ago and picked him up like the first four or five issues of that series. And he absolutely loved them. So when I was going through my comics and everything, you know, making my stack of stuff to bring, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, the guy that drew the, that Captain Adam comic that you like so much is going to be there. And he was so excited about that that he brought Captain Adam number one with him and, and got it signed by Broderick. So I thought that was really cool. And nice. Broderick seemed really touched that, you know, here was, you know, a young kid of, of the new generation, you know, wanting one of his uh, one of his books signed, especially a Captain Adam. So and he uh, he was doing a lot of commission stuff during the con. And I tell you, some of the pictures he was doing just fantastic. Uh, he he did a Captain Marvel for somebody that was really really nice because you know he had done uh, Marvel's version of of Captain Marvel. He'd done a run on that, and uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other characters he did, but just some really fantastic stuff. A Firestorm commission that was really nice, and there was another one that uh, a guy bought while I was talking to him, but I can't remember what character it was, but but just fantastic. But uh, we're gonna try our best. Uh, Chris Honeywell and I, we're going to try our best to have Pat on the show soon on Two True Freaks because I'm really anxious to talk to him about this new project he's doing now, uh, Nibiru and uh, The Legend of the Anunnaki because this looks really cool. It looks great you know, because, of course, it's illustrated by Pat Broderick, so the art's beautiful and everything, but it also looks like something that would be a lot of fun from kind of like a Freak Files perspective, just because the subject matter and everything is uh, is totally up that alley. So I look forward to that. And uh, and he's been very, uh, you know, amenable to the idea of coming on the show to talk about that and, and pimp and promote that work. So I'm excited about that. Okay, so it's a little after 2 o'clock. We're taking our first break because everybody's starving. We're going to go get something to eat. So... Uh, Having a blast, although I uh, about scared myself into a heart attack. I'll have to tell that story a little later. But, uh, Scotty, where are you going? Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. That's great. That was uh, X twenty three, and who was the who was the dude? Strider hero. I kicked ah. the crap out of him in uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> that was cool. So, what are you thinking of MegaCon so far? This is your first one. Are you having a good time? Pretty awesome. Isn't that fun? I love the costumes. Prices are ridiculous. Yeah, the prices are always crazy, but I come for the signatures, of which I've knocked out all but I think two. I think the only two I didn't get was Frank Cho and. Um, Wills Portasio can't even find him. He's not on the list or anything. He was in the guide, but... All right, this is what we want right here. Are they pulling up? They're pulling out. Come on. About that time, we... Uh, I Basically, I had knocked out pretty much everything that was on my list with, with just a couple of exceptions. The only ones that I, I had taken things for... And just didn't get a chance to to get them to sign anything. Was uh, I took uh, the black coat number one, a call to arms, because I wanted uh, Frances. Friend, what is this guy's name? Francesco 
Francavia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, was supposed to be there. And every single time I went over to his area, he was not there. So I don't know if he was sick or wandering the floor or he was a no-show or what, but I never did see him the whole time. But uh, the black coat, if you've never seen it or never checked it out, if you get the chance, check it out. It's awesome. It's basically Batman of the Revolutionary War. And, uh, you know, like like pre-Revolutionary War era Batman. And it's really, really cool stuff. A lot of fun. Really good book. Frank Cho was there. And, every again, every time I went over there, he either wasn't there or he had a line uh, crazy long. And uh, I, I really only wanted to get him to sign uh, New Avengers 14 and 15 because he had worked on those. And I love his Spider-Woman. She is damn sexy. I really like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was one of those things that was like, well, you know, if I see him and can get him to sign it, then okay. If not, then you know, it won't break my heart. One that did, unfortunately, kind of break my heart was a last-minute addition this year was Wills Portacio. Yeah, I'll be damned if I could find the dude. Um, he wasn't in the fly, you know, in the program. And everybody I asked, and everywhere I went, I looked for him, and I could never find where he was supposed to have an area. So I wondered if he ever did actually show. Nobody I've talked to or, or messaged on Facebook or anything remembers having seen him or met him or anything. So I don't know. He was he was listed on the website, but never actually saw him at the show. And uh, not that I'm like a, the biggest fan of his or anything, but uh, he had done one of his very earliest works was on the very last issue of Marvel Star Wars. He worked on that uh, issue 107. And as that is coming up very fast on Marvel Star Wars, or excuse me, on Star Wars Monthly Monday, I really wanted to get a chance to have him sign the book and uh, and hopefully speak to him a little bit about it, maybe even try to arrange to have him on the show or what. And uh, like I say, just if he was there, he was elusive because I never found him the whole time. Well, I, I, I told him you were looking for him, and he... Uh, <laughs> he was, so he was avoiding me then. He, he did the... I could make the joke that he got, you know, stuck in the in the Philippines again, but that's... That's actually what happened to him for several years. So that may be an oh really? Yeah, he remember when back when Image hit big and he had a book that was supposed to come out and it just didn't come out and it didn't come out and it didn't come out. It's because he couldn't get back into the country. Oh, I didn't. So uh, <laughs> it was like one of those things where it's just like, dude, cut the guy some slack. He's stuck. Is that what happened to uh, Kevin Smith? No, he just can't fly. (laughs) Well, about that time, it was a little after midday, maybe like 1, 1.30-ish, something like that. We took a little break, went back to the car, put put the books in the car, went and got a little cheap lunch, and then we came back to the convention. And pretty much from then on, it was just picture safari, man. We were going nuts, just wandering the floor, taking pictures, and just having fun at that point. It was, you know, I was, I was, I had lightened my load by getting rid of uh, the books and leaving them in the car and everything. So then we were a little more free to just kind of wander and, and just have fun. Archie, are you enjoying the con so far? <laughs> What's been your favorite thing about it so far? 
Yeah, girls, I like the girls too. The anime girls? Alright, well, enjoy the rest of your Megacon, R2. And, uh, you know, the boys did a little shopping and things like that, but I just really, at that point, I just wanted to kind of soak it all in and really get to check out costumes, that sort of thing. And by complete just dumb luck and uh, and having a leg up because I knew what he was going to look uh, look like, you know, what his costume was going to be because I had seen it on Facebook, I actually ran into one of our listeners. I ran into uh, Dean, and I hope I pronounce his, his name right. It's Cisla. And uh, he's a heck of a nice guy. He was dressed oh, yeah. as uh, basically a uh, like a medieval version of Green Lantern. And uh, yeah, I've I, seen pictures of that on on Facebook. It looks really nice. Isn't that cool? Yes, it was really cool. I wish uh, that, now there was a guy there that was dressed as like a medieval, um, like a knight, Captain America. And I think it would have been really cool to get those two together and and take a picture of them either side by side or like fighting each other or something like that because they they were somewhat similar costumes and uh, I thought that was really cool. But Dean was a heck of a nice guy. He was really nice to me and uh, gonna try to get together with him on uh, on a recording here sometime soon. Just shoot the breeze about you know comics and cons and whatever else he wants to talk about but he it was it was really nice meeting him he was a very nice guy oh here was one it's probably my biggest duh moment of uh well no I, i'll take that back it was my second biggest duh moment of the con was uh neil adams was there neil freaking adams and i never got a chance to talk to him because I, I had a chance right toward the beginning of the con when I, you know, there was like basically nobody over there and I could have gone over and talked to him. And I, I was like, because there was nobody else over there and I didn't have anything for him to sign and I wasn't prepared to like spend money. I was like, well, yeah, I'll you would have had to. You yeah, exactly. Had to I, I was like, well, I'll wait until a little bit later in the day. And then like later in the day was like every time I went by, there was like a line you know, 50 people deep. So I'm like, nah, never mind. Cause all I really wanted to do was just kind of, you know, go up, shake his hand. Thanks for being awesome. You know, you're a God and walk away, you know, and it just never really happened. I felt bad about it though, because it would have been nice to, to meet the guy. Maybe he would have given you life advice too. Oh God. I don't need it. I'm doing just fine on my own thing. Cause he sure first. did that to me when I met him. <laughs> I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I forgot to tell my uh, my Pat Broderick story because running a little long for this uh, for this show, so I'll wrap it. My I'll, fault. I'll be, no, no, no. It's not your fault at all. Not at all. I'm just I'm being very rambly tonight because I'm very tired. I'm sorry, but uh, I, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Pat Broderick. I had hinted a couple of times that I wanted to hug the guy. Well, here's why. So I went up. And, uh, and he had a little bit of a line, and he was doing sketches, that sort of thing. So I had to be very patient, wait my turn and all that, and went up. And, uh, and I set my recorder down to um, both record our, our conversation, but also to fish my books out of my backpack and everything and, and get them out. And as we were talking, you know, I'm opening books and, and you know, setting them up so that he can sign them and everything – and working all that, we're chit chatting, we're talking and everything, and and uh, you know my time with him was up, and I shook his hand, and, you know, told him how nice it was to meet him, that sort of thing. Wandered off, met up with the boys, 
And by that point, Pat Broderick was pretty much the last guy I wanted to have, you know, that I wanted to really talk to and get books signed with that sort of thing. Everybody was hungry. It's like, all right, well, you know, let's let's wrap this up. Let's head to the car. And I, I forget how we got there, but something in the conversation led me to saying something about my recorder. And when I said that, I reached into my, you know, my recorder comes with uh, with this really nice like shoulder bag kind of thing that keeps all the equipment in it and special compartments and everything. And I reached in there and there was no recorder. Now, if you follow me on Facebook and you know the whole story, I had just bought this thing i sold all my walking deads to generate the money to go get this nice recorder and i was basically like kind of field testing it at this event you know this was really my first opportunity to really play with it and really get you know good recordings and everything and i reached in the bag and it was gone and i just i flipped out i just totally panicked like oh my god it's gone so I'm thinking, all right, well, where was the last place I was at? You know, and it was at Pat Broderick's table. And a decent amount of time had gone by, probably a good 20, 30 minutes. So I'm really losing it. I, I figure there's not a chance in hell that it's, you know, if that's where I left it, it's gone. So we do our best to basically fight our way back to Pat Broderick's table because, again, you know, really busy con, a lot of people, huge crowds. So I managed to work my way back to the table, and Scotty somehow, like, was like a ninja or something and made his way. He actually got back to the table way ahead of me, got back there, and as I'm coming up to the table, Scotty's, like, holding his hand above his head, and he's got it. He's got the recorder, and I'm like... I got tears welling up in my eyes, right? And I go up and, uh, you know, I'm saying, oh, my God, you found it. Where'd you find it and everything? And Pat Broderick stands up and he's like, he goes, is that yours? He goes, oh, he goes, well, I was keeping it for you. He goes, I wasn't going to let anybody take it or anything. He goes, but I sure as hell wasn't going to touch it. He goes, he goes, I thought it was a taser. <laughs> because of the little, you know, the little things that come off the side of it, you know, it, it, it I get it, it does really look when the when the stereo um, recorder, you know, because it has two stereo heads. When you when you put them outwardly, like little antennae, it does kind of look like a taser. So he thought it was a taser. So basically, he just like set it to the side, and he wasn't going to let anybody get it, but he wasn't going to mess with it. And it was just awesome. And I'm telling you, I was just, I was so overcome that if he, if he and I hadn't been separated by the, his signing table, I'd have literally like thrown my arms around him and I'm like, thank you so much. You're so awesome. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I felt like such a moron. I mean, like what a, what a just total stupid rookie mistake you know to to leave your recorder behind you know especially you know brand spanking new you know barely used and and here i did such a dumb thing but uh he he was he was really awesome about it and oh man you know an experience that could have like totally destroyed the con for me and and it turned it around into into something really fun that that we both kind of had a big laugh about but uh Pat Broderick, definitely my hero. That that was really cool. That was very nice of him, and uh, 
I made sure to uh, to thank him profusely, and I even went on Facebook and then told a little story about it too, just to to let him know again how much uh, that had really meant to me. I thought that was very very gracious of him. Awesome. But probably have to wrap it up there because, like I say, getting a little long for the uh, for the show. But uh, before we go, I also want to give out big big thanks to uh, Christine Alger. She knows why, and uh, just want to tell her uh, thank you. It was definitely appreciated. Had an awesome time, and uh, I, I can't recommend enough that if you've got the means, you've got the ability, you've got the way to get there, go check out MegaCon. It's a lot of fun. Mike, dude, you got to come down next year for MegaCon. I know that you would love it. Um, God, I'd love to. I really would. Sounds like it's it's the type of... Because I love Dragon Con. I've been going to Dragon Con, except for like two years there, I've been going for like a decade. And the thing about Dragon Con is, is that it doesn't attract a certain, you know, like, like the, there are always a, like a creator or two that comes that I really want to meet and that I'm, re- that I usually have a really good encounter with. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping to God that we get to see Peter David there this year. Yes. Um, but it's just like I never get to meet Chuck Dixon. I never get to meet Mark Wade. And I know Mark Wade canceled, but he was there last year. Right. And I never get to see these guys. And these are guys that, you know, Mark Wade and Chuck Dixon especially got me through a really difficult time in my life. And I just want to be able to shake their hands and thank them for that. You know, yeah, getting a book signs nice, but it's just the, look, something you did helped me at a very pivotal moment in my life. And I just wanted to say thank you. So it's just, uh, it's it, it would just be nice to to see you. I mean, yeah, not 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 <laughs> not, not to sound you know, <laughs> as we always say when we say these things. But uh, you know, it'd just be nice to hang out with you and, and fight the crowd with you and do a little. Uh, one of the one of the <laughs> one of the best experiences I had at the. Uh, the one day comic shows, uh, you know, here here in Atlanta is when we were wingmen that day. Yep, uh, and it's just always fun to. And then Garrett, who's probably listening to the show, is my, is my wingman normally. But it's just nice to have that that guy that knows what you like and is looking out for you, and you're looking out for him too. So that that just be cool. Definitely. And I've never been to Florida, so you got to come see me. Is that a threat? <laughs> or else? Oh. Welcome back to car, uh, car mic, <laughs> car sound, car radio, smoothest place on your radio. Um, so yeah, it's after MegaCon. It's seven twenty-two or so now. Yep, seven twenty-one. And uh, that's taking us that long to get yeah. to the car, get in the car, and then creep, 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 crawl through traffic trying to uh, get to I-4. After special operations deployment to get the <laughs> uh, get the badge, the media badge, back to... Uh, yeah, and I'm glad I remember that. Yeah, the, I, you know, the boys, uh, they pay, you know, had to pay their way in this year, but I had uh, a media pass, and uh, but one of the stipulations of getting the media pass is you had to return it at the end of the of the show. And we got, what, about three-quarters of the way back to the car. And we walked back to the car rather yeah. than taking the uh, the bus service that's provided because we didn't want to wait. And you suddenly realized that you still got the badge yeah, around your neck. Like, oh, yeah. shit. 
So, you know, then Scotty uh, pulled a, a commando raid from the car when we were passing by the convention center. He's like, let me run out and jump out and run it across the street. So he did wait, that. And wait, were you wearing underpants or not? <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, we got it returned, and uh, that was cool. But, yeah, now we're back in the car just trying desperately to get to I-Force. So <sighs> go to All the in a day's work. We are so... I don't know about you guys. I am whipped. I am, <laughs> yeah. Have fun at Epcot. But, uh, yeah, we're supposed to go to Epcot tomorrow for the uh, Flower and Garden Festival. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm going to be tired. I'm tired right now. But Yeah. So, I'm itching to know, what did you think of your first Megacon? That was fun. Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm proud of myself for recognizing, I'd say... If I was tested on what on how many people I could recognize, I'd get about a C plus because most of the people in there, I don't know if there were custom anime costumes. Mostly anime. Yeah, yeah if they were just custom anime, or if yeah. they were actually cosplaying someone, I didn't know who anyone was. Basically, I could I could get pretty much every Marvel character and DC character in there. It comes down to anime. I knew about I'd say about uh, three different series. Oh, there goes Jesus walking across the. Uh, Is that the zombie oh, Jesus? Okay. No, that looks like live Jesus. Yeah, we saw dead Jesus too. So oh, that's funny, zombie Jesus. <laughs> that's the thing is, man. There's so many, so much to see, and so many costumes that even walking through there, just clicking, 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 I still feel like I missed a ton of stuff. That exactly. I wanted the to get people a in there are so creative. I mean, there there are costumes in there that you would never expect someone to be wearing. And yeah. Were there any costumes in there this year that you guys didn't see last year? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. saw very the few of the same. Yeah. There were very few repeats, I thought. Yeah. I'm sorry? There were a bunch of new, like... There was Medieval Captain America, a bunch of new Wreck-It Ralph outfits. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see uh, some of the other pictures that uh, the folks are not posting up online. Oh, yeah. They, you know, they have those big group photo things that they do out on the lawn, and I, I miss it every year because I'm always inside wandering the floor, or doing whatever I'm doing, and I always miss the ones that they do outside, the posed ones. But as we were coming back on the bus after lunch, you know, we caught sight of the the one they were doing for Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, there. that looked really cool. So it was amazing because most of the people that are that were on the grass taking that photo, I did not. Wow, see look inside. at that building! Holy crap! That building's upside down. Whoops! That's cool. Superman. That's cool. That's not how that you plug cool. a volcano. Yeah, that is really neat. Wow. What is that, I wonder? I have no idea. <laughs> That's pretty cool. No, those are actual palm trees growing upside down. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I don't think I've ever been down this stretch of high uh, drive before. Yeah, this looks completely unfamiliar. Yeah, this is all the touristy stuff down yeah. here. I've never really been down here before. But uh, I, man, I had a, I had a uh, great time. I had yeah. a blast. It went by so fast. I mean, even getting there early like we did, we got. I mean, you know, we got there and we were there well before the official car start of the con. I got to wander the floor a good almost hour before the, uh, you know, the start of the con. So even being there right when they dropped the rope at ten o'clock and leaving right when they closed it at 6. I mean, mm -hmm. what is that? That's 8 hours. Yeah. And I still felt like it flew by. Oh, yeah. You know? And, uh... No, I mean, I had a great time. I don't oh, yeah. I really have yeah. any regrets. I do wish I'd gotten more audio. I, I kind of regretted not getting more audio, but... 
Oh, don't worry. We're going to have plenty of audio uh, after that Pat Broderick <laughs> I know. I'm very curious to see what uh, that yeah. ends up sounding like. But, uh, I'm not touching that thing. It looks like a taser. I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to end up doing um, a full-blown uh, Mega Megacon recap uh, show with uh, with Michael Bailey, so I'm sure I'll tell that story. All right. During uh, during the recap for the listeners, but uh, man, oh man, <laughs> that that could have you know just that could have ruined the whole. Man, that would have just a little teaser. I have never seen Dad get so manic in my life. Yeah, I was flipping out. <laughs> that was that was just stupid. I mean. It has served me right if, you know, if the worst, had, the worst had happened and it would have been my own stupid fault, but, man, I'm really... The, the big thing, you know, and speaking of regret, I wish I'd gone back and, uh, you know, I went back and thanked him, but I really should have gone back and seen if there was something I could do, like, you know, so I could buy him a soda or coffee or something, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, I had meant to do that, and then we uh-huh. never really wound back up there again, but, uh, come on, babes, cross the street before you get hit. That was stupid. Boing, what boing, is that boing. thing? Look at that. Pirates Cove Mini Golf. We've been is there that, before. Is that the one we've been to? Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah it is there. nice, isn't it? That's cool. That's I, neat. Well, I was. What I was gonna say earlier is that I've never seen. <coughs> I've never seen Dad run or walk as fast as. The, I've never thought in my life, so many people are in danger right now, of Scott Gardner having a flip out. <laughs> I was just in a panic. Jeez. Oh, I, mean, I had a I had a great time. I, I mean, mean, I got. You think he gets angry over the dark night? <laughs> I wasn't angry. I was I was like yeah, you know, nervous. Like oh my god, you know. Where I, is it? Yeah, I, I really was fixing to lose it, but I wasn't mad. I was just yeah, upset, just freaked you know? out. But uh, man, I mean. What was really cool is I didn't really have a plan going into the con other than, you know, I had my books all picked out, what I wanted, you know, I I had everything organized in my backpack so I could find it very quickly, which was kind of a problem for me last year. So this year I was much more organized. Right. And as soon as we got the program, we sat down, we figured out where everybody was, so we kind of had a game plan of how, you know, what order we were going to try to get to people to. Everything worked really well. Um... There were only two people I never got to get signed. You know, I had basically it comes down to three books out of I, I. I'm trying to remember how many I end up bringing. I brought a lot of books, oh, like yeah. 50, 60 books. Out of all those books, only three of them didn't get signed, and that was New Avengers. I think it's fourteen and fifteen by Frank Cho, which was kind of like eh. You know, if I if I met him and I got him to sign him, that'd be awesome. But I'm not the biggest New Avengers fan. I like that particular storyline because it involves Spider Woman. I'm a big Spider Woman fan. I didn't even see him. I don't know if he 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 was a no show or what. And um, what was the other one? Oh, Will's Portacio, who I'm again. I'm not the biggest fan, but he had done. Look, there's another one of those crooked. That one's just crooked instead of upside down. But look, that's cool. That's the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. That's neat. Oh, you guys would probably like that. I went to yeah, one probably. of those I've in. Seen uh, the, I've in, seen the like Guinness kind of books yeah. that they have. I went to one in uh, in Niagara Falls, and that was really cool. And it's the same thing. It was in a, Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have to go over in a barrel to get inside? <laughs> yeah. If you can, if you can survive the barrel, then they let you go into the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. They but have, uh, they have a counter on the side of the Niagara Falls, and they update their book every couple of <laughs> seconds. This is how many people went over the falls. But the book for uh, for Will's Portacio was actually Star Wars Marvel Star Wars number one oh seven. Which, uh, damn, dude. 
Okay, almost hit me. Um, Star Wars 107, which was the last issue of Star Wars, you know, Marvel Star Wars. So I really wanted to have him sign it just for that historical value, and also it's coming up on the show in the next couple months. So yeah. I thought that'd be something cool to talk about. He, I never even, I, if he was there, yeah. we couldn't find him because he wasn't anywhere in the program. He wasn't on the map, and we wandered all of Artist yeah, Alley. costume just to throw people off. I don't know. I, I <laughs> kind of think maybe it was a last-minute no-show or something. Maybe. Come to think of it, there was one other person, which was uh, Francesco Francavia. I don't think he showed either, because every time we kept going back, he was right around the corner from Mark Bagley. Uh-huh. And uh, you never got your comics signed. I didn't bring my comics. Oh, you didn't bring them. Okay. Yeah. All right. I decided at the last minute that, you know... Probably a better idea not to bring them because I wanted to travel light. I didn't even expect to get pictures, but I ended up with over 90 pictures, so but, I'd uh, say that turned out pretty well. But yeah, we got some great pictures too. But Fr- Francisco Francavia, I'm trying to remember what was the book. Oh, I brought up um, The Black Coat number one for him to sign because I really liked that book. That's something you'd probably like, Scotty. It was, uh, it's this hero takes place back in the days of like, um, what was that movie that we watched? I, th- I think you watched it with me. About the Sons of Liberty. Johnny Tremaine. Johnny Tremaine. Um, it, it takes place in in that era. Like, pr- mm-hmm. just prior to the, the uh, Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And this guy's essentially Batman. He's essentially Batman okay. of the Revolutionary War era. And damn, it was a good book. It was really, really good. And his art is... Oh, look. They're going up in that flingy thing. What do you call that? The, oh, the bungee the, thing. You see him? Yeah, did you see him go up? The slingshot. Yeah. There they go again. Uh, look, look, look. Ah! <laughs> I'd be pissing my pants and throwing up and crying. And oh, don't else. worry. People have. Oh, my God. I couldn't do that. Yeah. There's no way. I wouldn't even want to get in that seat. It's probably disgusting. There's my friends no say that they'll only ride that if someone else rides it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I would. That's awesome. nuts. <laughs> But uh, beyond those, I think I think that was it that I didn't get signed. Everything else, uh, mm-hmm. I, I and and in short order, I mean, that's what I was going to say is I didn't really have a game plan other than this is the stuff I want signed, and I got everything signed by what time did we finally leave to go to to go to lunch? About two o'clock. Um, so by two o'clock, I yeah. had everything done, and uh, oh, I know where I'm at now because that's that Popeyes I ate at with the guys when we were here for. Uh, for celebration. I know where I'm at. Oh, here, we're by the, what used to be the world's largest McDonald's. At one time. <laughs> Where's the bigger one now? Uh, I forget. I heard somebody, t- Russia, I think? I forget. <laughs> I've, I've heard, but now I can't remember where it is. But yeah, Russian eat. <laughs> but there is a bigger one now. Alright, here we go. I4, we're on our way home. So what else? Uh, still the biggest thrill for me, uh, was uh, Jeremy Bullock it was just that was cool that was a thrill mm-hmm. he was so nice so very very British very polite yeah. very British because <laughs> uh, I felt like an idiot because you know I, I went up to him and the con wasn't open yet or any, he, there was nobody around it was just me and him literally in that big space where eventually all the big like Star Trek and Star Wars people were it was just me and him and so I'm wandering around, and, and he kind of makes eye contact with me, so I thought, what the hell? I don't want to bug the guy, but what the hell? So I went over, and I was like, Mr. Bullock, how's it going? And he you know, shook his hand, and, oh, you know, he's lovely, and then he's being, you know, proper British. And so have you got a minute before the contest? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So we, we stood there and just shot the breeze, and 
more than anything, we talked about the weather. <laughs> so we had this, this polite little conversation. He was really cool, and I'm trying not to be a big freaking nerd, you know, but I'm totally geeking out because, I mean, it's Boba Fett, you so know? How's the weather? Stinky as a Sarlacc pit's stomach. <laughs> so we have this nice little conversation. I, I shake his hand and I tell him, you know, what a thrill and blah, 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 and, you know, lovely, have a great con. Walk away, and I go back to listen back over the audio uh-huh. just because I'm, like I said, I'm geeking out over it. I play back the track, and all I hear is... Uh, Something like, uh, it was very nice to meet you. Oh, same here. Have a lovely con. I'm like, son of a bitch. I lost that whole trend. Somehow I did something wrong. So then I thought, all right, well, I can suck it up and cry about it later. Or I can be even more obnoxious and go back and be like, I'm sorry, Mr. Boba Fett. I'm a retard and I didn't get that recorded properly. Can we record it one more time? So I stood there debating with myself and I was finally like, screw it. So I just went back up to him, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I said, that none of that recorded. Oh, that's fine. That's lovely. You want to take two? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So we did it all over again. It was awesome. So that was really cool. He was very, very cool. So that, I mean, at that point there, if somebody had to come up and been like, all right, you need to leave, I'd have been like, that's cool. I've had my con. I've had, I had an awesome time just talking to, to Jeremy Bullock was cool. He was very, very nice. But, uh, yeah, I got to talk to, you know, briefly with, you know, everybody that I really wanted to talk to, and uh, that was awesome. I mean, so many cool people. You know, most of these people, are, well, I won't say most of them, but a lot of them I had met before. But there were just enough, you know, new ones there to, to make it, you know, give me that thrill again. Like, Pat Broderick. Yeah. That was cool. That was cool for me, because he's one of those childhood guys for me. Uh-huh. I would have liked to have had a better chance to really talk to him because there was somebody else that came up at one point and started talking to him too. So he just kind of quickly signed my books and that was it. But it was still cool to, just to get to meet him and everything. I'm excited about this book he's got coming. Yeah, hey, you out. met that other guy from the different podcasts. Yeah, he uh, was at the uh, battle. I can't remember. We're friends on Facebook. I hadn't had a chance to, to listen to his show yet, which I, I felt bad about because he asked me. It's like, have you listened to my show? I was like, and I misunderstood what he said. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, what do you think? I'm like, oh, shit, no, I'm sorry. I haven't listened to it. And I'm like, no, I've been to the site, but no, I have not listened to it. But See, I've been on a, on a listen to lately of um, uh, the WDW radio yeah. show. I'm trying to listen through that whole show to get caught up you know, to where he's at now, because I used to listen to that show, and I loved it, and then when I got laid off of work in Georgia, it was one of those shows that just sadly just didn't make the cut, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, you know, I've gotten interested in, in catching back up on the show again, so I've been listening back through, and, I mean, it's just taken me, I love it, but it's just taken me a long time, and in the meantime, while I'm getting caught up on that show, I'm falling behind on all my other shows, Plus, I'm not taking on any new shows until I'm caught up on his. Right. And then I'll have to get caught up on the ones I'm already subscribed to, and then I may take on some new projects. So it's going to be a while before, you know, I I take on any new listening projects, Uh you know, which sucks because there's so many people that keep telling me, you know, you need to be listening to this or listen to that, or worse yet, you know, friends of mine that do podcasts are like, hey, have you heard our latest episode? I'm like, no. And I feel like an ass being like that, but it's like... You know, there's only so many hours in the day, and uh, I really want to get caught up on uh, on Lou's show before I take on any new projects. So. But uh, but that guy, yeah, that guy was really cool. And he said that he's interviewed uh, uh, Broderick on his show, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. 
I felt bad because there were several creators I had talked to and been like, hey, you know, let's set up a time, get together late. And he's like, yeah, you know, I can stop back after, you know, 5 o'clock or whatever. And then pff, never got the time. To, yeah. I mean, that time went really fast. Oh, yeah. I was really surprised how fast, you know, a full con day went Well, maybe it went faster for you because you had stuff to do. I was wandering the floor for, what, an hour or two? Yeah, you, you went off and I was out there for quite a bit. And I found some nice stuff. I was looking all over the place. I mean, even the weapons, like... It scares me that people can put entire tables full of knives in the middle of the con. But you go over there and look at that stuff, it's nice. Whether they can kill you with it or not, that's some nice stuff. They got big keyblades from Kingdom Hearts. They've got Master Swords from The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Huge Buster Swords, which probably fake, but still look real. I'll tell you what, you could, you could seriously spend some money in there. That's for sure. I mean... I didn't even oh, yeah. do that much serious looking, and I saw, you know, just through the nature, just kind of wandering around, I saw so much stuff that I'd be like, oh, I can spend some money. And they, they knew what they were doing having me in there, because the first thing I see when I walk in there is a battle rifle hooked up on the wall. That was cool. Right in front of me. Did you ever find out a price on that thing? They took it down. Maybe someone bought it. Yeah, I don't know, but it was gone it. by the time that I went back there to look for it. Somebody probably bought it. Yeah. I can't imagine that it was in my price range, though, because the material they would probably take to make that probably costs like a hundred bucks so you know what i did i definitely see? do not have a hundred bucks what i didn't see this year that i that logan and i saw in spades the last couple of years is iron man did you guys see an iron man at all this year uh we saw that chainsaw vigilante iron man <laughs> yeah, that, one, <laughs> that one was ridiculous yeah i think that one was purposely shit that, that was, was a was, joke yeah, yeah that was what was funny about it is he had like a paper mask, and I, so that was funny. I kind of wanted to walk up to the guy and say, hey, you know, if you did the Chainsaw Vigilante and say, it'd probably look a lot better. But then again, I didn't want to walk up to him and say that and figure out, oh, crap, this guy spent all of his time trying to make this, <laughs> right. and this is the best he could do within, like, the night before the con, and then destroy all of his self-respect and... Yeah, I just wouldn't want to do that. I'm all the time anybody. trying to think of a, of a costume that I could do that would be both, you know, appropriate and and within budget and, you know, within uh, my skill level and everything. And that's when I hadn't thought of the Chainsaw Vigilante. That would be a good <laughs> one. That would be a good one to see if people actually know who you are. Because I, along with wanting to cosplay, if I were ever cosplay, I'd like to do somebody slightly obscure, you know, to where people are going to have to work at it and go. I think you could do the uh, the big Russian guy from the Tick. Oh, whatever his uh, name what was is. It? Red Scare, Red something Scare. like that. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you got anything to add, Logan T? Yep. What? persuading me because I took like maybe 10 minutes changing back and forth from my costume so I was like well if I wear it I'm gonna look stupid but then I was like well everyone's up everyone else is dressing up mm-hmm. and then I was like well hey, you got of, constant compliments on your suit yeah you did a lot of people are gonna want to take pictures with me and then I'm gonna be like mm, and I'm popular so I was just going back and forth like that. And... Logan turned into quite the ladies' man. <laughs> three people asked me for hugs. Two people asked me to kiss them. One weird lady asked me to be their friend. 
Lucky Scotty showed up right then because I like ran towards you. I figured because she sat down with her cell phone and I thought, oh no, he's twelve, girls. <laughs> not for long. It's not as old as he looks. So, are you glad that you dressed up? I am. I would like to wear a different outfit next year. What do you want to try to be next year? Either Scout or Maxwell from from Scribble. Oh my God, we saw so many Team Fortress Two outfits there. It got a lot. I was geeking out. I saw a lot more Slenderman and a lot more Team Fortress Two. Yeah. Trying to think of what my favorite costume was. You I remember that guy that looked like Tony or Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, that he looked was, exactly yeah, like Robert Downey yeah, Jr. He, did. he looked really good. He's dressed up in the uh, the Stark Expo tuxedo. God. Shoot, that's what I meant to look if for. If he's going to have uh, a stunt double, it has to be that guy. I meant to go around to the different apparel places and see if I could find that Stark Expo cap that I wanted. I totally forgot to do that. Yeah. Yeah. They hmm. don't need stunt devils for movies anymore. They use CGI. Oh, Sometimes they don't, but still. See, this is the first year that I, I felt like one day just wasn't enough. I, I could totally go uh-huh. for another day. Yeah. If my legs weren't killing me. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. But that was that was a lot of fun. That was excellent. Uh-huh. Well, you can go ahead and wrap it up there if you want to. All right. And this is us on Car Radio signing off. I'm Scotty Gardner. Okay. That's all right. Well, I mean, I'll do a proper outro on the show. What are you saying? Um, I probably like the third episode I've actually been on. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com. 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Freaks.